You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Wrestling edition, and you know if you hear the Silver King off the top of the show, that means there's no BC here today. Don't fret, folks. We have a absolutely loaded professional wrestling show for you, and the reason that BC is not here on this edition of State of Combat is because he's doing work for another special edition of the State of Combat that will hit you on Thursday. Special interview, cross sport edition, little WWE, little boxing, little MMA. Part of that show, the Silver King interviewed Tyson Fury and Paul Triple H Levesque about their upcoming uh, special event, Blood Money in the Sand 4, you guys know what I call it, uh, over in Saudi. Uh, Brian will also be speaking with someone special. It's not hasn't happened yet. Not going to spill the beans. But anyway, make sure you listen to Thursday's episode of State of Combat for a little bit extra from the SOC gang and BC 100%. We'll be back next week talking all things pro wrestling you know he has plenty on his mind this is going to be an interesting show here so you can hear it from my voice i'm not feeling well silver king is under the weather the man whose name is on the marquee isn't here and then i'm sick but we got a guy who's sick in the head gentleman jack crosby outback jack crosby i forget which nickname we're going with which individual week he's stepping into the number two role jack welcome to the show Thank you very much for having me again. This is this is getting fun. I like when BC's not here. <laughs> yeah, a little bit extra time for uh, for good old Jacko. Um, yeah, I said it's an interesting show. So, like I said, BC's not here. I'm sick. Jack's sick in the head. There's no soundboard. Uh, we're operating at like I don't know, sixty five percent right now. Uh, <laughs> there's also right in the middle of the college football season. Jack is one of my college football editors over here at CBS Sports. And on top of all of that. I mean, I put a rundown together for this week's show, you know, just breaking the fourth wall a little bit here. And there is an absolute insane amount of stuff to cover in the world of professional wrestling on the rest of this show. We will be talking WWE, no doubt, NGPW, AEW, NXT, NWA, and who knows, maybe we'll F around and get some ROH impact and MLW in here. I don't know. It's going to be a crazy show, folks. We got plenty to get to. As I said, no soundboard. We're going to move straight into the main event, Jack. And the way we're going to start off this episode, a little bit of a surprise to me, maybe a bit of a surprise to you. We're going to talk about an announcement that came down just yesterday from New Japan Pro Wrestling, formerly and officially, let me say that again, formally and officially moving into the United States of America. They announced NJPW of America. They will be doing tours in between all of their Japanese tours. I believe they did about a dozen shows here uh, this past year. Uh, They're going to double that. Um, 
it seems very interesting. They did not get into specifics of whether they're going to have a straight up American show that is maybe different from the Japanese show that is cut and in you know, re recorded over uh, for AXS TV. They haven't necessarily filled in if the roster is going to be primarily the NJPW talent we know and love, or if it's going to be a mixture. They obviously have a dojo out in LA uh, that they're building on. They're going to open offices there. So the point, the long story short, short on this, is further details to come. But the question right off the bat, when we were talking about on this show, NJPW coming to America, it was before AEW was even a twinkle in the Young Bucks' eyes, or Cody's eyes, or Kenny's eyes, or anybody. Now AEW exists. NWA is back. NXT is on national television. Jack, is this going to work? No, I, I, uh, I said upon the announcement the other night, I, I told a few people, I said, this comes out across to me initially is a very terrible, terrible idea. This comes across as a panic. Well, panic's maybe not the, the right word, but, you know, the Bushy Road executives see what's happening over here in the United States. We are in a bit of a boom period for professional wrestling. And they're just trying to strike while the iron's hot. With this announcement of this uh, American promotion or expansion, whatever you want to call it, that has very little details. And of the what stood out to me, again, was the details that they did provide. It confused me even more, like I said on Twitter to one of them. They, they stated how they collected the data while they were over here for their events. And I said on Twitter, I said, what data? Like when you couldn't sell out the arena in Dallas for the exactly. G1? Exactly. Like what data did you collect exactly? That told, and even the Walter Pyramid, those um, those attendances were dropping a little bit, West Coast, because they botched this expansion from the beginning a few years ago by going to Long Beach, California. Hey. In my mind, New Japan's base audience, sort of like we saw WrestleMania weekend, which isn't a good gauge, should have been in the Northeast, Boston, Philly, New York, especially. But they started out on the West Coast, which I think was a bad idea off the bat. And they seemed to, with this last tour, where they did do the Northeast, that seemed a little better. Right. And I thought that, okay, maybe they would but take you're a, a step huge fan, But you're, you're a huge fan, and you had the opportunity to go to one of those shows and didn't. No, I didn't. Because right. of work. But I'm just saying, like, like you're a huge NJPW yeah, what, fan. What I, I mean, what I have, uh, other, if it wasn't college football season, yeah, I, pro I probably would have asked you for a day off, or if I had a day off, I probably would have went. But uh, it, it's just, it, this just comes across as a huge panic move, man. Like, like just, we're going to try to capitalize on that boom going over there in the United States. And unless this leads to, which, I, of course, a lot of people, uh, this is going to be the obvious assumption Unless this leads to the announcement of a partnership with AEW, then I, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish yeah, here. That doesn't make sense to me. This is too much almost to move into America this strongly to become a partner with someone like AEW. That that to me is not the case. So this is what this is my perspective on it. AEW, uh, not AEW. You got me. You got me flummoxed here. Uh, NJPW in this announcement, they said they had a three phase plan, and what I think happened was this plan, they set it out into, you know, two years of, three years of a plan. Let's call it 18 months or to 24 months, okay? So a year and a half to two years. And they had three phases. I think it was so slow developing to go from phase one to phase two to phase three that they just straight up got beat to market. 
And you have yeah. to and you have to remember they had some obstacles along the way too. They had the entire elite, which really was the core of their United States fan base, leave all basically at once, all together. Kenny was gonna you know gonna be heavyweight champion for a long time. They had to change that up. Uh, yet they had the tag team champions, uh, you know, months and months and months ago. In the Young Bucks leave, they had to basically go on the fly and figure out what the hell are we gonna do to maintain that audience. They also had a show in the United States that was built up big time and had visa issues, you know, p- for political reasons, U.S. political reasons, for basically yeah. all of their top tier Japanese performers. That hurt. Then they have the G1 that they we knew off the bat. They put it in way too big of an arena. I believe they put it in the American Airlines Center. They did. In yeah. Dallas, which, like, WWE's not selling that out unless it's, like, SummerSlam maybe, right? So then they did that for the first night of the G1. It was empty. Um, and it was a good show, but it was empty. So it's been one failure after another. But I think they had some of these obstacles along the way that they didn't anticipate. Where I think we can fault NGPW is twofold. One is they just went along with it. They said, you know what? We're not going to be deterred by our by these obstacles and these things, you know, uh, screwing up our plans. We're just going to push ahead anyway, despite the fact that we had all these obstacles, despite the fact that AEW has opened to very high acclaim, and despite the fact that ROH, which is their American partner at this point, is floundering in a it, major yeah. way. It's really, really bad. So, I mean, look, man, this is a company... And we like NJPW on this podcast. We praise the G1. We praise Wrestle Kingdom. We praise Dominion every single year. But this is a company that took a year past when they were really becoming popular in America to figure out, oh, we should actually have English-speaking commentary on all of our shows. It took them even longer to realize that they needed to have Rocky Romero on the broadcast to translate the Japanese promos. And even so, when they were doing that, it's still, you know, every third word. It's not, it's almost like, hey, we're just throwing you a bone here. This is a company that still to this day, after this announcement, does not have a quality English website. So now we're expecting NJPW to come into America and say, we're going to compete not only with WWE, but with AEW and with Impact and with Ring of Honor and with MLW and all the other wrestling options that people have in this country. I, I kind of agree with you, man. I think. Too little, too late. Now, I also, a theory floating around in my head, which is very plausible, too, because just because of the, the timing was very peculiar, peculiar, is that just last week, the word starts to finally leak, which, I mean, we knew this for, you know, once Triple H was standing there with a, a map of the world in front of him, in front of investors right, right. a few years ago. The word starts to leak last week that, hey, NXT Japan has been looked into of course, the initial plan was like we all thought Pro Wrestling Noah, they they had the partnership when they had Kenta, too, especially. He was a key cog in that. Right. He was the middleman when he was with WWE. They were essentially going to turn Noah into NXT Japan. But then that blows up. But then Dave Meltzer says that they were still looking into NXT Japan. So maybe someone from Bushi Road in New Japan says, hey, look, here's the deal. We have the bigger stars by far. There's nothing Triple H could do to come over Correct. here. Correct to present a bigger Japanese promotion. Impossible. So let's get over their ASAP before he tries anything. Well, I, I understand where you're coming from, but they do have, I do trust them that they had this three phase operation that they presented. It's just, they're going about it the wrong way. They're just, they're going about it the wrong the ex- way. The execution's and, terrible. And you know what? Also, I, if I'm Bushiroad, I'm like, okay, trips, try NXT Japan. 
you're going to fail. NXT Japan, if and when yeah, it that happens. That's a horrible idea. If, if and horrible. when it happens. If it when it happens. It's just, I don't see any avenue in which it's successful. Now, Look, ha- I don't, don't want to call it a failure, Look, but like to but, that point, NXT UK, not doing it for me. Hasn't done it for me in a while. Cannot tell you the last time I watched a live presentation. Yeah, yeah. I guess you'd call it. Well, the NXT takeovers UK. are good. The takeovers are good, but... Yeah, but there it's an entire organization over there, not just the takeovers, right? If they yeah. if they had all these talents and said go do your independent thing, but once a quarter we're going to do a takeover, that would have been great. But that's not yeah. what they're doing and you're right. NXT UK is really not hitting home for me. Now, NXT Japan, if it was to happen and if it seems like WWE got what they tried to do reportedly and buy Noah and buy Stardom and merge those into NXT Japan, okay. That might have actually worked. There's talent. There's really smart people. There's obviously, I think WWE has the best women's roster, roster top to bottom in the world right now, but Stardom's a close second. Uh, if not equal, if not oh, better, yeah. people would argue it's better. So, so then all of a sudden you have all this talent, all this legitimate footwork, a uh, uh, groundwork that's already been done in Japan. It could work. But according to Dave Meltzer, obviously they, tr- they tried to buy Stardom, failed because Bushi Road bought them. That's something we didn't talk about on last week's show. NJPW's parent company bought Stardom, which is the top women's promotion uh, in Japan. They are not merging them. They're not doing co-events right now, but that's another story for another day. And then WWE apparently reportedly also tried to buy Noah and failed. So now it's like, what would NJ- NXT Japan be? And I can tell you what it would be, a failure. So yeah, no way. WWE no is just straight up, stay out of Japan. Let NJPW come to America and potentially fail. I don't know that they'll fail. They have a significant amount of money behind it. If they're moderately successful, maybe that's enough to cover their expenses and and get a foothold in the States and, and get more NJPW World subscriptions. I don't know. But as of right now, WWE, let NJPW make this potential mistake. You don't. You have enough on your plate of yeah. things that are not going great where you do not need to venture into Japan. Okay. So we talked about NJPW of America, Jack. We got to move on. Like I said, there is just so much on this show. And this is not even, this is a main event topic, but it happened like almost immediately after we recorded last week's podcast. WWE, presumably Vince McMahon, fired Eric Bischoff as executive director of SmackDown, moved Bruce Pritchard into that role. Now, from what we think we knew about Bischoff and SmackDown, his role was generally to work with network executives, make sure everything was okay. And Vince was going to run the show creatively. And it seems like that's what happened, except the reports coming out of backstage of WWE was Bischoff didn't know the talent, didn't know the storylines, and did what I would say most normal human beings do, which is at the end of a 5, 6, 7 p.m. workday, went home and unwound. Where you know if you work with Vince McMahon, that's not how your workday is. So he's fired. Uh, Bruce Pritchard is in charge. I think we know historically... Bruce has been a right-hand man to Vince, someone who I don't want to call him a yes man because I don't know the intimate details of the relationship, only what they have said publicly, and, and that would be wrong for me to say, but someone who seems to be on Vince's side more than not, right? Uh, so to me, Jack, that just tells me what I think we always knew, that Raw was always Vince's baby, and now SmackDown is Vince's baby. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. Well, we knew SmackDown was going to be Vince's baby, at least for a little bit, once this Fox deal kicked in. That's why you put someone like Paul Heyman in charge of Raw. Like I I, did, I said last week, I'm right. sure. Like, 
he, but like he trusts Paul to run a show way more than he would ever trust Eric. To. Correct. So exactly. that's why you put Paul in charge of the Monday nights, give him a nice little roster to work with, and then Vince could oversee the new billion dollar baby. Uh, boy, I got to if hypothetically, if the Slammy Awards still existed, and if they were legitimate, right? No wrestler, man, male or female, would be up for comeback of the year. That Slammy Award would have to go to Bruce Pritchard. Yeah. What a year that dude has had. I mean, from the return to the company, slotted into a top spot next to Vince. Now, because of these circumstances, he's the man in charge of that billion-dollar baby on Friday nights. I mean, the dude, you can't script something better for a man in a year span. It really is crazy, especially considering, you know, a year ago at this time. Right. And I don't know the exact date, so I could be a little bit wrong. The return of Bruce Pritchard to WWE was his show being on WWE Network. Right. And by the way, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Like, it's great stuff. It, I, like, I like their podcast as it is. Um, you know, people can criticize one thing or another uh, the way he does things. What, I, that's not my place. They're very successful, um, and I think they're very entertaining. And when that show went on WWE Network, I was like, that was actually the first time I ever listened to it because I, I never listened to the podcast. They got yeah. a new listener from being on the network. I was like, oh, you know what? This is really good. He's telling old school stories, whether they're 100% true or not, who knows, but they're totally entertaining and Bruce is awesome. So then they say, yeah, you know what? We're not going to do this anymore because there seemed to maybe be some creative differences on topics they wanted to cover that WWE didn't want on the network. Okay, whatever. They're completely gone off the network. And then Conrad is now going in, you know, look, they say there's no relationship. There's obviously some relationship with AEW and StarCast and Conrad and whatever. And you're like, oh, man, so maybe Vince just has nothing to do with Bruce anymore and this relationship is completely severed. And then he hires him back and now he makes him executive director, as you said. Just a a great timeline of events for a man like happy for him. But in in regards to Bischoff, though, the only surprising aspect of this is that it was so quick. I did not expect Bischoff. like. Like um, Eric said on his podcast, where he just recently talked about the whole departure, he didn't expect to be there like 10 years or anything right, like that. I expected maybe two to three. I didn't expect this to happen. But again, when you hear the reports and stories of what it was like, this man secured a nice bag for a few weeks, ate some good catering, took his wife out to some nice New York City restaurants, and that was about it. I mean, the only part that confused me a little bit was, you know, he chronicled on twitter how he was uprooting his life to move to connecticut and now he's out of that job but yeah i, I think he, no. what, did, what did he live in wyoming yeah why oh his ranch in wyoming he picked it took his dog his wife you know, the whole family and uprooted to new york and now it's over with but uh do you think he drove a harley the entire way no he had the car because he had the because he had the dog with him that was the key oh, okay. he had the dog with gotcha. him, so he couldn't take the harley probably went on uh or maybe he didn't take the harley new york's what you know what what used to you have in the city for yeah. the Harley. But, uh, what was that paper? What was that called? Hog wild? Hog wild. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I always yeah, laugh. Every... I, every year I laugh because I'm not a motorcycle guy ever. Like, I, I don't buy into the culture. And no offense to anyone who does. It just, it's not me at all. And, ev- yeah. and every year they did that when you have like Carl Malone on the back of a hog and it's just it's like. Yeah. You know, what, you know what always got me about those shows? Though? They were pay-per-views. Who got, they were normal pay-per-views who cost like 40 bucks a month at that time, right, right? Right, right? So I was like 13, 14 years old. I still didn't understand the whole. When I come to find out later in life that they didn't charge tickets. Like if you just had a motorcycle, you could roll up and watch this wrestling well, show. Well, wasn't that at some annual like, festival what? or gathering or something, right? Yeah, Surge. Surge. Yeah, right, you right, could right. just roll up and watch the show. I was like, wait a minute. 
That's a pretty sweet deal. Give me a motorcycle. I didn't yeah, know fine. That. Go buy go buy a forty five thousand dollar Harley, and then you can then you can ride up to the show. Okay. Anyway, so Bischoff is gone. Um, I think his hiring in the first place, if we're being honest, was you know these two shows were were being created in terms of you know new contracts with with USA Network and Fox respectively for Raw and SmackDown, and Vince. No, I feel like he knew he needed to put someone in charge of Raw. And if he was going to do that with that person being Heyman, he needed to make a lateral move, basically. And I think that's where Eric Bischoff came into play. It's, well, what other name besides Paul Heyman can fit in that press release and get people yeah. excited, get Fox thinking, hey, we are taking care of you the same way we're taking care of Raw. And that's where I th- think Eric Bischoff came into play. Because let's be honest, if they announced that as Paul Heyman and Bruce Pritchard, and if you're a Fox executive yes, who reportedly wanted Paul Heyman in the first place, you're thinking, well, we got the short end of the stick. At least with Eric Bischoff, if you're an executive, you're thinking, well, all right, well, you know, it's a, it's a big name. Yeah, I know. They think I know his name. Now, they don't necessarily right. know that for all this... For all the hoopla that he gets, Eric Bischoff was really only on top of wrestling for three years. Let's be honest with ourselves here. We need to be honest about Eric Bischoff. He's a great name. Good businessman. Great businessman. He really is. But we we sort of overstate sometimes, like, how good he really was in wrestling because it was Absolutely. three years. And then you had the TNA failures. And it, like, it was really only three years. And, and you know so, what? The same thing happens with, and uh, no disrespect meant, with Vince Russo, too. Yeah, there was a period exactly. of time where Bischoff was Bischoff was necessary to move wrestling forward, and and Bischoff was necessary to move Vince McMahon forward. Vince Russo was similarly necessary to have WWE catch up and yeah. move Vince McMahon from a mindset standpoint into a and this is I don't mean this term, but into a new generation, into the more reality generation yeah. of WWE. But both of them burnt out completely. Yeah, like there, there, there was no sustainability with the, with either of them. And like I said, like sometimes we we blow out of proportion exactly what Eric, like like when you kick Vince McMahon's ass for eighty three weeks, like that. Yes, that is something. That, holy cow! Absolutely. But then we also forget stuff too. Like that was where the it was a slow burn transition for WWF at the time, while all that was going on. And yep. then when they did finally turn the corner, that was it. Game over. And then a few years later, WCW's out of business. And and they also did things. Let's not forget that actively hurt wwe they took talent you yeah. know it's 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 not that dissimilar from aew the difference being you know pock pack whatever you want to call him is certainly not kevin nash now john moxley is a, yeah. Na- a nash scott hall you know level guy um but you know there's like the rumors and it's it's self-fueled rumors of you know maybe Randy Orton goes over there maybe the revival huh. maybe the revival go maybe huh. these guys go over and the truth is if AEW does over the next eighteen months grab a couple names not Hager names from WWE yes. that people care about it's gonna have a similar effect it will boost their ratings and it will simultaneously hurt WWE because WWE people are gonna go well what's this AEW thing that all these people are going to I know Moxley went there but. What about all these other guys that just left, right, that I'm hearing? Yeah, why are um, they going? And, and I think it can have a similar boost from them, and I have no doubt that they're trying to do something very similar. But at the same time, you saw what that got WCW. They banked on that, and it and it burned out. They gave them too much creative control, all that stuff. 
That's where I think AEW is going to be different. I think they're going to make smart choices with the names that they do take if they have the opportunity to do so. And I think they're going to keep that creative control, keep that power centralized in Tony Khan and the executive vice presidents. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I have they've so far, even though it's early, they've instilled a lot of a lot of confidence from me that they they are going to make right decisions. It's not going to be, hey, I don't work for WWE anymore. Can I come work for you? And they're going to actually sit back and go, what benefit do you give us, really? Right. Like, there's like no, how, there, there are no brainers. Like, Randy Orton, if, if that was to happen, no brainer. Revival, no brainer. But there's other guys, yeah. you know, let's just say Cesaro as an example. I, 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 just, just throwing a name out there. You're like, you know what? We could bring him in. But what's he really going to add? for us and and if we do bring him in does that mean that mjf doesn't get pushed as strong yeah. Joey Janela and even, a, and even a guy like hager you would normally say no but i defend that case because not only can you claim he's a former world champion of wwe which he is and even though you put you shouldn't put much stock into it he is an undefeated mma fighter well that professional i think so, the, i think the crossover with bellator yeah makes him interesting without that I don't think he, I don't no, think you don't take him. You, you yeah. just go that. Ah, no, but when you could when you could pr- uh, promote him as, hey, here's our undefeated, and because a lot of pro wrestling fans don't pay attention to MMA, they don't right. know A from B. So if you just say undefeated MMA, they're like, oh wow, he did that since he left WWE. So you know, there, there's a benefit there. No, no question. All right, Jack. So we were in the middle of talking about WWE. Somehow went hog wild WCW <laughs> AEW on a tangent there. But what I really wanted to discuss coming out of Raw on Monday night, obviously we do tape the show on Tuesday, is I'm not trying to do a Barry Horowitz here where I pat myself on the back, but but I am going to say that what I mentioned in last week's episode of State of Combat really did seem like it was coming to fruition, which is that I got a completely 180 degree different vibe from Raw than I got from SmackDown. For in the best possible way. Raw on Monday night, three matches. Ricochet, Drew McIntyre. I thought it was a good return for Drew McIntyre. Andrade against Sin Cara. And Seth Rollins against Humberto Carrillo, which if you told me that match, I, I could have right. guessed a million matches on that show. I never would have guessed that match would happen. They were work rate, high quality, high intensity, multiple commercial break. 12, 15, 17-minute matches that captivated me as a viewer. Now, the Cleveland crowd, that's another story. They were horrible. Hit and miss. Hit and miss with those guys. It was like up, it was such a roller coaster with those people. They popped for the big spots. They didn't get into the matches. I think that is something that we can talk about in a second of the hill that Paul Heyman has to climb with doing what he's doing to Raw. But in addition to those matches... They continued introducing Aleister Black, obviously Carrillo. They introduced the Street Profits as legitimate stars, putting them in the main event. And they ran a package during the show, putting over Black, Andrade, and Buddy Murphy from last week, saying these guys are going to be instant impact dudes on the new Monday Night Raw. It told me that all the hopes and dreams I had from last week's show about what Raw could be, which is what Brian and I on this podcast hoped SmackDown would be, which is a work-rate, high-quality wrestling show with good, cohesive storylines, long-term storytelling, all the good things that we want. 
while what we thought would be Raw, which is now SmackDown, is the pop culture, as Brian would say, the Gaga type of show for a larger audience, getting people really excited about the Roman Reigns and the Daniel Bryan Yes Chance and the Braun Strowman and all that type of stuff. It really seemed to me this week like that was coming to fruition. They even, Jack, had a segment outside the arena, which is something that is so important to to, to storytelling because you want to think like not everything happens in this individual capsule of, of the arena every single week yep. with Rusev and Bobby Lashley and Lon. You may not have liked it. You may have. It doesn't matter. They, they tr- they're trying something there. So am I wrong? Am I right? Did you, from watching three hours of Raw on Monday night, kind of sit there saying to yourself, this is different. Paul Heyman is being given, maybe not completely free reign, but a really long leash to do what he wants on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I said it in the Raw recap. Well, I said it in the Raw recap on CBSSports.com last week, and I talked about it on the show where I said, aside from the crap segments I didn't like, coming out of the draft, I said, the future is bright, and I'm really excited about this. And then last night's show was going to give me the first indication of, okay, now that all the BS is out of the way with the draft and, and everything, where are we going with this show? And yeah, after three hours last night, I came out just optimistic as all hell. Because like you said, the in-ring stuff, fantastic. The segment, the, this Rusev Lashley stuff, I said in um, my analysis last night, I might be in the minority. It has me intrigued. I know people, it's too soap opera-ish for some people, but it, like again, like I explained, this is still an entertainment show. Absolutely. It's pro wrestling. You got to deal with it. You're going to have those. And you're getting this, like I called it before, this is the Paul Heyman variety show. You're going to see Humberto Carrillo go f- 10, 15 minutes with Seth Rollins, but then you're going to see Rusev thrashing Bobby Lashley in a restaurant with his wife screaming in the background. That's what you're going to get from Paul. He's going to try to appease everyone, and he's and traditionally, he's very good at that. I loved because we, we've been screaming about this for how the, the video package you mentioned. Correct. Uh, Andrade, Murphy, and Alistair Black. Just simple video packages telling people, hey, these people are important exactly. and they're coming. It's like the when people had their qualms about, oh, they're just using the street profits as hype men props backstage. I'm like, no, they're not. By not putting them in the ring, what they're doing is they're building the anticipation. Okay, these guys are funny. They're entertaining. When are they going to wrestle? They're they're great. When are they going to wrestle? Like, that's what Heyman did. He's like, I'm just going to keep putting them in people's faces. Let let it linger. Let it linger. And then after the draft, boom, I'm going to unleash them on you. And they had a fantastic – they're going to be their stars, especially Montez. If you can't see Montez Ford is going to be a bona fide, legit, crazy superstar, you don't have eyes. That dude – is just off the charts. With he, he's the real deal, and in a rock-like fashion. And I'm not... I, you know, it's funny you say that <laughs> because I, I've told people a while. I said my fear with Montez is that Hollywood's going to steal him. He's the next one that eventually, when he gets too big, Hollywood's going to come calling. So, and I think the guy could do the acting stuff in a rock-like fashion. He oozes charisma, yeah. and more, even more important than that, because a lot of people have charisma. I mean. Let's be honest. Angelo Dawkins has charisma. He's great too, yeah. but he's quick on his feet, um, and from a, from a mental standpoint, like he's going through the crowd cheering. He sees a baby, a woman holding a baby. Oh, good! I In a see. quick moment, at the the last That's five seconds, last five seconds are all. He looks at the woman's like, "Is this okay?" Takes the baby, starts bouncing the baby. The baby cracks a huge smile that she's getting that this baby's getting this attention. The camera finds them because the camera was going away from the moment finds Montez Ford with the baby, and the internet exploded. 
Okay, and Montez Ford stole a baby, and, and it sounds so simple, right? But no one does that. Nope. It takes a thought of this would be fun. People will like this to in that moment while celebrating after your first match on Raw to do something like that. I thought it was great. The the Street Profits got completely over with the crowd. Um, we'll talk about Kevin Owens a little bit later and, and what happened with that segment. Um, but to your point, there was so much on Raw to like that if you came out of Raw and didn't like it, it was one of two reasons. Either one, you let the crowd affect your viewing experience, which is, I, which is what I believe you know this, I think is happening with AEW. I think AEW is a very good product. I think people think it's otherworldly because the crowd reacts to it like it's otherworldly. And the yeah. Cleveland crowd on Monday night did not treat what they were getting, which was very good action. Paul Heyman putting over new people. They did not treat it the way an AEW crowd would have treated. If you put that raw in front of an AEW crowd, those three matches would have got insane responses straight up. They just, they would have instead the crowd was sitting on its hands a little bit and kind of like, Oh, okay. McIntyre ricochet, you know, oh, Ricochet's doing... Ricochet did a tope suicida with a somersault. And the crowd was like... That's ins- that was insane. I don't know how he did that. And it, it, the people are the biggest part of a wrestling show. Absolutely. Almost as important as the wrestlers. Like, I tell people... One of the examples I like to use is go on the WWE Network. Go find some NWA shows where Dusty Rhodes is in the main. When Dusty Rhodes... When Dusty makes his baby face comebacks... Those crowds lose their minds. There's mm-hmm. women crying in the front row when he makes his baby face comeback. If they don't do that, do we remember a lot of his matches the way we do? No. Same thing with someone like a Ricky Morton. Do we remember the Rock and Roll Express? If Ricky doesn't get that hot tag from Robert, comes in, right. cleans house. And again, those people are just screaming bloody murder when they're making those comebacks. But when you get these raw crowds in some of these cities that, like you said, are just giving the golf claps. Right. It's like, well, no, this doesn't seem important. and. People don't realize that when they go to these shows, they're like, I'm just as much a part of this show as the guys in the ring. I have to work with them. Yeah. And and a crowd like last night, they don't do that. No, they're chanting what, you know, here and there. And, you know, credit to Rusev for the best shutting up of what of all time. Like, yo, guys, this is a Hall of Famer. That's rude. You know what I mean? Um, So I just thought the, the superstars, the wrestlers were allowed to be more of themselves. I liked that they let Humberto Carrillo speak backstage and let him call out the universal champion. Like, Nuts. Like, what? And then they paid it off in the same episode. Rusev, with a live mic, spoke like himself. Bobby Lashley may have been a little bit scripted, but it felt like it was his, I, it felt like it was his own words, even well, if it what, wasn't. One of the things I like, and I, again, I put this in the recap that you can read on CBSSports.com, is the, the, one of the things that I think is catching me with this angle is that for some reason, <laughs> I, but just for some reason, Bobby seems the most comfortable in this role <laughs> yeah right <laughs> that he's been since he returned to the company because he's like he's because he's allowed Lee, to talk he doesn't yeah, have to talk Lee, about his sisters and, and crap like the stuff with leo was okay but then again you have the 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 fact that leo was with them doing a lot of the heavy lifting but this is bobby on his and he just seems comfortable and just like just being this this a-hole homewrecker right dude with the, it, 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 i think that like you, nothing seems forced with him here, you know what I mean? Like that, I think is making it more enjoyable Look, for me. Bobby Lashley is a physical specimen, right? He's a confident badass. So you have to let him be one of two things: either an a hole, 
or yeah. the dominant guy who's like, I'm just going to come in and kick your ass. Right. And yeah. that's what, that's what they let him be on impact the latter. So, yeah. so you need to kind of put him in that role. And I thought Leo Rush was totally fine with him. It worked, but like Bobby Lashley bending over and showing his ass. It's just like, and the, and it just didn't work that? because then like you're reminded a few weeks ago, like Leo was such a fantastic wrestler. Yeah. That you're like, it kind of didn't do it. Like, yeah, he was doing his work on the work, quote unquote, on the mic. But you're like, but he could do even better work when you put him in those ropes. So you're kind of hurting him, too. Yeah, it's it's just... kind of like what they're doing with, with Shinsuke and uh, Sami Zayn. To a point, yeah. To a point. Yeah. Now, Shinsuke, you know, I, I hate it uh, for all the reasons I've told you guys in the past. But you're not seeing Sami Zayn wrestle. If Shinsuke needs a partner, right? Why isn't Sami Zayn the wrestler, his partner? He's not hurt. He's ready to go. It, it seemed very strange overall, um, that connection. It, it, similarly with Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley, sometimes when you put two people together, you get the best of both of them. Oft, other times, you're negating some of their personality, some of the things that they bring to the table because they're compensating for one another. And yeah. it, it's difficult. But Raw, top to bottom, I think was really good. Even We didn't even mention it, but... The AOP promo backstage where they're like, look. Love these. Raw signed. I thought it was the best of the bunch. Raw signed us. Not because they want us. They know we're going to kick everyone's ass because they don't want SmackDown to have us. It's such a good, simple promo. They now have the Viking Raiders, a legitimate tag team as the champions. They have these guys basically saying we're coming after you. And there's other really good tag teams on that show. Look, man. Like, speaking of, I, speaking I don't want. Of ta- Go ahead. Speaking of tag teams at Raw, though. I, what my big takeaway from last night that got me all jazzed up. If you're telling me that at some point down the line, we're going to have Kane Velasquez and Rey Mysterio against Brock Lesnar and Shelton Benjamin. Take my money. Yeah. Give me that. And we're, if we're going to do this thing where they're going to acknowledge finally that Shelton and Brock are together. Give me it. Well, so we are going to talk about Kane and, and that whole situation later. And I agree with you on that. It is weird though, that you have, Ray and Shelton on Raw. You have Lesnar clearly on SmackDown. Right. They didn't draft Kane anywhere. And you no. have to believe he's a SmackDown guy. That's the whole point, right? For him, Rousey, Lesnar to be SmackDown people. So it is strange how they're not trying to cross. And even Paul Heyman, again, to his credit, closing loops. He appears on the video board. He goes, look, this isn't a, this isn't a, a wild card rule deal. I'm not on a brand. I'm here to talk to you because my client Brock Lesnar on SmackDown, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So they allowed, they figured out a way to get a little bit of crossover storytelling without breaking the brand split. And that just goes to show Paul Heyman's genius and the way things are going over there. So I don't want to get too excited because, you know, whenever we give WWE, not whenever, but sometimes when we give WWE a lot of credit too soon, they come and disappoint us. Yes. But what I can tell you is from seeing Raw on SmackDown, from this past week. And I didn't hate SmackDown. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. I did. I felt way more optimistic about the future of WWE coming out of Raw. Just based on the hopes that I had, the expectations that I had following the draft. Actually somewhat being fulfilled. And if they continue to push Aleister Black and Buddy Murphy and Andrade and the Street Profits. Yeah. And they bring in AOP. And they get the women back for everyone that sent me tweets. Basically, the entire women's roster is in Australia right now. Uh, yeah. Becky, Becky Lynch is over in L.A. The rest of them are, are in Australia. I think they had a dark women's tag team match. The only woman on Raw who was not involved and available was Liv. 
who they're clearly planning a return for. So that's why you didn't see outside of Zelina Vega and Lana, you didn't see any women on the show. That's the reason. Um, I am very optimistic that Raw is the show that we want WWE to give us. Whereas SmackDown will be the typical, what we've seen from WWE the last few years. Hit or miss, some good shows, some good matches, but generally more for a larger, more casual audience. Yeah, SmackDown, I'm, I'm sorry, Fox executives, if you happen to be listening. If SmackDown will be a show, especially on a Friday night, where if I miss it, not the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, I e- don't. even this week, just to show the differential, I just I brought, I broke down three big one-on-one singles matches that had clean results on Raw. What did they have on SmackDown? They had an intercontinental title match to open the show that ended in a schmaz finish that yep. led to a double uh, 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 tag team main event with two singles feuds basically coinciding with one another. And then also in the show, they had an eight-man tag match for just to promote this tag team turmoil thing they're doing at, at you know, Blood Money in the Sand 4. And and I I mean, I don't, even though, like I said, it, it's not a can't-miss show, I, do, I also can't fault WWE, the business people, for doing that type of show right. for their their new partners because that's pretty much what they're looking for they're looking for the superstar show they got their roman reigns they got roman reigns and brock lesnar whereas raw is raw's the new land of opportunity it is let's show that last night raw has now been the flagship show has now become the land of opportunity and that also makes especially like for the raw side that makes the wrestlemania picture interesting the royal rumble picture interesting because i still i don't know why i have this in my head and we're still months out. For me, I think my Royal Rumble winner is from the male side is Aleister Black. I don't know why. I just have a feeling. And maybe this push on Raw actually leads to my theory coming to fruition. I just always felt he's the winner of the Royal Rumble. He's going to win it. But anything can happen. And that's when pro wrestling is best when you feel like anything can happen. Exactly. And I think from Raw, coming out of Raw, I get that feeling now that, yes, the first feud for the U.S. title, we'll talk about it. Maybe a rehash. Fine. That's fine. Everything else besides that seems new to me mm-hmm. and seems fresh and has me excited to watch Monday nights. Um, and there's I, anticipation because, like you yeah. said, we these awesome AOP vignettes. Like, it, it doesn't take a, a genius to figure out AOP is over there talking their smack backstage. The War Raiders are the tag team champions. So, you know some point down the road we're getting a hoss fight with those four absolutely and even with the bobby lashley and uh rusev feud yeah there was a pull apart at this restaurant but we haven't seen him touch we haven't really seen him go after one another and rusev after week three is just starting to get angry just starting to gain an edge whereas he was kind of in that for lack of a better term cuck roll the first couple (laughs) couple (laughs) of weeks and now you're like, oh, wow, so he's getting an edge and attitude, but he's still a good guy, handsome Rusev. But, you know, he was unshaven. He was just wearing a plain white T-shirt. The presentation was just so freaking refreshing that, again, if you came out of Raw and didn't like it, then I don't know what to tell you. Because to me, that's the type of WWE programming I want to watch. I want it to be more exciting. I want their, them to have a full roster with the women back and, and everything. But for, yep. an, for an off week which is what this is, as they still build to Crown Jewel. And the, the last thing I'll talk about before we kind of move on to AEW NXT, and we do have Hero Zero coming up in the show. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is this. It's actually twofold. Number one, regarding Raw, regarding SmackDown, regarding WWE in general, Paul Heyman has an incredible hill to climb. 
And you saw it with the crowd reaction, what I alluded to earlier on Monday night. The crowd is not conditioned to watch a 15-minute barn burner match like the three that they got and get all amped up throughout the entire time and get the result. So on one hand, he has to introduce new stars. On two, he has to recondition a WWE audience that has been pretty much beaten into the ground to expect six-minute matches that are formulaic, where the guy you expect to win always wins. He has to change that mental conditioning of them. That's number one. Number two, for people that are criticizing WWE programming and storylines right now, it's fine. It's legitimate. It's there. They are in a really low place, okay? I think what you need to realize is that twice a year, and we know this empirically from last year, twice a year when WWE has to build to these blood money in a sand events, <laughs> their storytelling and their TV goes in the dumps because yeah. they are literally interrupting their own product to present a build for another product. And it happened last year. It happened earlier this year with Blood Money in the Sand 3. I think that one was the Super Showdown. And it's happening again right now. So we all want WWE booking and storytelling to be at a 10 or a 9, right? I think yep. I think generally it's anywhere between a 7 and a 4. 7 when it's really good, 4, when, four or 3 when it's really bad. This is the low point every year. Twice a year for like four weeks when they build to these Saudi shows. At hit, least all. At least this time we don't have to shoehorn Undertaker in there. Right. We're not shoehorning Shawn Thank Michaels God. and Kane and Undertaker and all that. Um, and they don't have Mansoor on Raw trying to promote randomly his match with Cesaro. But still, to my point before we move forward, this is the lowest point of WWE booking every year. These, these three, four, five-week periods – leading up to the Saudi shows. Once they get past that, we know empirically it gets better. So if you're like Brian, and I'm, you know, I'm not talking about him with him not here. He knows you know, the way we think. Um, if you're like Brian, you're super, super, super down on the product, and even Raw didn't totally do it for you, let us get past Halloween. I have a feeling things are going to get better really, really soon. Jack, before we move on with the rest of the show, I delayed it as much as I could. We got to hear a quick word from our friends. <laughs> and sponsors. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jack, we are back. Unfortunate rhymes aside, let's move on and talk about AEW, which uh, probably could have been a little bit higher in the show, but we did want to talk NJPW right off the top. So uh, I think it was, this was the, the third episode of Dynamite, came through last Wednesday, and if I'm being honest, to me, I thought it was the best episode top yeah. to bottom yet. Um, they're getting away from a lot of the WCW stuff that was really bothering me the first two weeks, and they kind of gave us a show that, to me, was enthralling uh, and exciting, and they gave me enough little nuggets to get me to want to tune into it. The following week. For me, right off the top, the best example of it was Chris Jericho. He didn't put over Darby Allen in terms of a victory, but he gave Darby Allen a significant amount of offense in that match. Didn't pin him, won via submission. It said to me that 
when AEW talks about wins and losses matter, they're not just talking about wins and losses mattering. They're talking about how the superstars, how the wrestlers look during the matches that end, obviously, in wins and losses. And now we're on a roll here with Darby Allen. Again, we, we talked about it last week, especially. D- the kid's a star. And Jericho went in there and did everything in his power. They did. Like, Darby's, th- that was the first time for a, a mainstream-type audience to see that. But Darby's done that just a few times on the indies. The um, duct tape his hands behind his back gimmick for about half a match, maybe a quarter of it, like he did on, like he did on Wednesday. And because the dude is so athletic and so good at what he does, he makes it work. So Jer- so for him and Jericho to pull out that spot and he has the world champion on the ropes and almost beats him and they still need Hager to come in. I mean, Darby's look fantastic between the Cody things, his other matches and what he did with Jericho. But they, they, they these guys, I'll give them credit. They are giving me everything they pretty much told me they were going to give me on TV. That we're going to give you a fantastic TV show. It's going to hook you, make you want to tune in. These guys are nailing this TV stuff. Like, I don't care. Like, people can argue. They can, sh- they can shout at the clouds all they want about the ratings. I don't care oh, the, for right now. All, it doesn't for, matter to me. First of all, if they go down, I think they're at 1.1 million. Yeah. If they can just stay at a million. All right. Hover around that. They, TNT was not expecting 1.4 million no. a week. Come on. They weren't even expecting 1.1. They were probably expecting like 700, 800,000. Yeah. They're getting a million. That is to- adding a couple, another 100,000 from England. Uh, or from the United Kingdom, I should say, add in what they're getting from AEW Dark on, on YouTube, which we'll get to, which still obviously promotes the brand, promotes TNT. They are doing perfectly fine from a ratings perspective. And they do they do a really good job of making you want to see multiple angles. Like you have the Jericho Darby thing. Obviously, the main angle in the company right now is Cody versus Jericho coming up at full gear. And why I like that so much within this company is that there's someone like me who says there's no way in hell that Cody is going to slap that title on himself this early. He has seen Jeff Jarrett in TNA. Cody knows that's a terrible idea. As Mm -hmm. popular as he is, Cody knows that's a terrible idea. He's not beating Jericho. Ain't going to happen. But there are other people who might think Cody's going to take that title. So you don't know. Like, there's this – it's 50-50 with the fans. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, I believe that Cody – no way in hell. Not going to happen. But there might be other people that say, all right – Cody, of all people, is going to be the – because he's been the most successful of the elite so far. Cody's going to take down Jericho. We're going to move from there. Then you have the little story, like the, this tag team title tournament. Love the love the way they're doing this, especially when they started right off the bat with kicking the Young Bucks out. So they're out. So now you're like, oh, wow, now I have to watch this because I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's like, it's like when the champion loses like the first match of a gauntlet. Yeah, like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, I got to see this. Like, what, what's going on? No, fantastic TV presentation. Can we please, just please? I know, yeah, I know he went on his rant. I do not care. Can we get Jim Ross away from those guys and just get Tony and Excalibur? Like, Jim yeah. is just it, hurting for me, too. Jim's rough. Um, <sighs> and similarly on Raw, if we're being honest, King is rough. And Well, to, actually, one thing about Raw, really, I, I do got to say this. Just it's It's one thing really quick. Go for it. The last few weeks, I really, I, all, all respect to Dio Madden. That dude is coming into his own in front of our very eyes. Uh, look, man, he was shaky the first week. I and for he just turned it into high, that dude is getting really, I, really good. I don't, I don't think you were on the show, uh, the episode that we talked about it. I don't, I don't even remember at this point. The things have been so crazy the last three, four weeks. But I said very specifically on the show about Dio Madden. I'm like, it's his first time. 
<laughs> like, he had, like, I think one and a half 205 Live episodes. Paul Heyman heard him, saw him, said, this is the guy I want. Vic Joseph is top-notch professional, really damn good. So yep. you say, hey, bring this Dio Madden guy along. Give him, I said give him six months. Give him six weeks. Give him six episodes. Like, 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 he's three episodes in, and I'm like, he, I'm like oh, my he, God, I want to listen to this guy. Lawler said, said some stupid remark about the Street Profits last night. Like, he put them to some dumb remark, and Dio just instantly called it, like, shut up, baby boomer. Like, that was a ridiculous thing to say. I, the, the, I, I, was, I equated this, and, and look, WWE is so much bigger than this podcast, okay? But I equated it, uh, and yeah, I don't think you were on the show, but I equated it to this podcast when I started. I'm not saying I'm great. I'm not saying I'm even good. Probably a lot of people don't like me, whatever. But I think as a audio broadcaster, in terms of my ability to communicate my thoughts on the microphone, to fill in occasionally when Brian's not here, I am so much better than I, than I was the first podcast we ever did, where I was like kind of scared to give my opinion. I didn't like know when should I interrupt Brian and when shouldn't yeah. I, you know, it, it, it takes a feeling out process whenever you get into something like this. And if you're, and I'm doing it in a little tiny studio on a microphone with someone I work with that I know that I'm friends with. Dio Madden is doing it on a live microphone Nuts. in front of millions of people watching at home that he knows are going to criticize him. So it is a tough ask to have Dio Madden step in and do anything. And not only is he doing it, he's doing it well. I don't think he's great yet, but to your point, he's getting better each week. I do not think it's going to be long before that is a two-man booth. But now bringing, ever, bringing the discussion full circle back yeah. to our AEW discussion. Bring it back. I, I said last week, like, my two of my biggest issues watching my wrestling shows in 2019 should not be Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross. That shouldn't be how it is. I shouldn't have to say, well, Jack, what do you, you know, between Raw, SmackDown, AEW, what's what some of your biggest, some of your biggest complaints? One of the things I say should not be, well, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross on commentary for their respective shows. That's not how it should be. Both of them don't need to be there. I want to say that I don't think, just to counter you, I don't think Jerry Lawler, uh, let me, let me reverse that. I don't think Jim Ross is doing terribly. It's just that they have someone else in oh, the booth yeah. with him that can do the job better in 2019. Long-term, t- long career-wise, Jim Ross is better than Tony Schiavone, period. I won't even hear an argument otherwise. But in 2019, there is a greater energy. There is a greater knowledge. There's a greater passion for the show that is being called from Shivani than there is from Jim Ross. Yeah, not to mention, like, there has been from day one in the network and everything, you know, the narrative that this this is the new WCW, the, the new competitor. So you have Jim Ross there goofing his things up, but you're dangling Tony Shivani right. right in front of us. We're like, just give give him to us please just put him in that chair i think we said uh 18 months for ross and six months for king i think i'm gonna cut those i think it's like nine months for jim ross i think he ends up doing a different role maybe backstage maybe uh maybe sit down interviewer and moves more into the vice president role that he has with aew um and i think king you know i wouldn't be surprised if he's and this i guess is still six months but once WrestleMania season's over, I, I wouldn't be surprised if King's no longer on commentary. And again, I don't think King is doing a bad job. As I said a couple episodes ago, 
one of the reasons he's in the chair is to help Dio Madden. And he's clearly helping Dio Madden. But when I'm listening to the broadcast and Dio's kind of going on and Vic is calling the match and then King inserts one of his jokes that are now dad jokes. You know, they used to be, you know, a little bit um, racy. Now they're just like uh, where your dad says something, you roll your eyes type of thing. Um, It's kind of like I don't really need that as part of my broadcast. But okay, I digress. Back to AEW. So we talked Jericho and Darby Allen, and and I agree with you that I do think Darby Allen is the, I guess, straight edge Jeff Hardy is the best way to put it. Uh, Long term, he has a huge future potential. Uh, I I really completely enjoyed everything that he did the last two weeks on that show. You also had the tag team match between uh, Pac uh, and John Moxley against Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. And the one thing I'm going to say, and I'll talk about it later in the show. They're developing storylines on being the elite um, that they're not really sharing with the television audience, particularly the Hangman Page storyline, uh, as it relates to the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, basically the elite storyline. They're not giving us this on television. So when you saw this match, you're just like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that they're tag team partners. But on being the elite, and I'm not going to ruin it because it is available on YouTube for you to watch, they explain why they are tag team partners, what's going on with Hangman Page, what's going on with Kenny. So yeah. there is so much more happening that is really good. And it's it's probably the storyline that interests me the most in wrestling right now. But they're not giving it to me on the television broadcast. And that is something I'm going to criticize them for. As I said a couple weeks ago, they can do whatever storytelling they want in the ring. That's fine. Professional wrestling is about more than in-ring work. You see it from NWA Power. The matches are fine. The story, The studio interviews... The other stuff that they do, that is what has me interested in NWA power. The wrestling is almost secondary. With AEW, if you want to put the wrestling first, that's fine. You can't forget the other part of the equation. Yeah, and we could be, you know, that's a good point because one of the men involved in this match, like I really want to see this Wednesday because this past weekend, Kenny goes down to Mexico and wins the AAA title. The mega championship, Kenny, right? Kenny wins the AAA mega championship. Fantastic. If you can find, I believe it's on AAA's YouTube. Terrific. One of the best matches of the year. But Bray Phoenix, Kenny Omega, you're not going to get anything bad out of those guys. But now, our, our favorite loser in AEW, Kenny Omega, goes to the partnership promotion right, and has, wins the world championship. And he, on he, has one of, he has one of the top five or on six world titles in the world. Yeah. The Lucha Brothers right now are engaged in this um, tag team tournament. Kenny has his thing with Moxley. We got a little bit of a mess here because theoretically, Kenny goes down to Mexico, wins the world title. Wouldn't you come back Wednesday now and have Phoenix be like, hey, man, uh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what happened last and, week. And considering does Kenny just not show up? With, I, I, this is where and I don't cons- know. And considering your partner promotions... And yeah. you had a tag team title match for the AAA title on your uh, pay-per-view. Wouldn't Kenny bring the mega championship out to the ring? Now, again, for the listeners, yeah. Like, this is not a criticism yet because they very well could do this. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow. We're taping Tuesday. The show's very, Wednesday. They very well could do this yeah. tomorrow night. Yeah. They could. It's Kenny, Kenny could and should come out with that belt. And title. Phoenix. It's, uh, I, there, there are ways you could do it creatively. Where even though that you know you have the tag team tournament, you know you could do something with Phoenix. I mean, maybe if you want to do a rematch on that, I, Kenny doesn't have anything this week. I don't think. Correct? Uh, there's nothing scheduled for him. Um, you could do it impromptu yeah. if you wanted to, if you could fit it. Um, do but a backstage it has to be se- do a backstage segment where they walk yeah. past him with the title 
and, and Hangman's, you know, hell, you know, look, or the, the elite, or the, I should say the Young Bucks, like, hey, Kenny, you know, congratulations, whatever. And Phoenix and Pentagon walk by and gives them the yeah. dirty eye on their way out to the ring. Like, there's just little elements that you can add. I'm with you. That, yeah, the- and, and, and like you said, we're, we're pre-criticizing. We don't know what they're going to do yeah, on, we don't know. on Wednesday night, but we just get the feeling of the way that this is working out. But they had that match, that tag team match. Um, basically, I think it was, what, Pac turned on Moxley, said F you, right? Starts walking away. Is that what happened? Uh, and Moxley kind of just, you know, was on in two-on-one situation. It allowed him to lose with Hangman and Omega winning clean. I thought it was a really damn good match. You also had Britt Baker on the show challenging for the women's championship against Rio. And look, Rio, we like her, right? Yeah. She's, she's really good. She's the AEW version of Kyrie saying we've said it before. I actually think Kyrie's a little bit better, but that's another story for another day. Um, she's doing a really good job as the women's champion so far, at least in this match. Britt Baker, though, was the women's signing for AEW, right? Well, and no, this is where this is where we're getting sketchy here. This is where the Kylie fans Ray, were most excited. Fine. Kylie, Kylie baby. was going to be the baby face face of the women's. But division. Britt Baker was the name. Is that fair yeah, to say? She, she was essentially the name, whereas Kylie, I, I firmly believe Kylie was going to be that first women's champion. No doubt in my mind. Agreed. It was going to be Kylie. And look, we're not going to, we're not going to play, we're not going to play the games that, you know, they're pl- playing on other radio shows. I'm not going to mention. We're not going to, but, you know, long story short, she's no longer with the company. It was sudden, mysterious. So they had to do a little bit of rearranging in the house, sure. so to speak. Sure. And and Rio's champion, um, the, just the thing with Britt Baker is, like I, I really like AEW, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna maintain my criticism. Their women's division is not up to snuff. Fans seem to like the match, so good for them. To me, I thought she was clunky, Britt Baker. Um, I thought that was the second time or third time, maybe even that that's been the case. And if that is your top woman, at least in my eyes, obviously Rio's the champion. I'm not discounting her. I know they have Bea Priestley, and I know they have other women on the roster. But Britt Baker, to me, was the one that got me interested in the, the division. She's not performing up to stuff, and you're going to no. put her in a title match right away after Rio just won the title. I don't know what your storytelling plans are for the women's division. To me, it just seems like an afterthought. It, uh, again, you know, I, I, the Kylie stuff really, I think, threw them for a loop. And they had to fi- try to fix some stuff on the fly, and, and they're in that process right now. but. No, Britt, I, I have to agree with you, and it, you're not the only one. I, I see a lot of people when they watch Britt's matches, and especially this past week, it was just like, oh, she is not ready for this. Um, it, it came and, off to me like Lacey Evans when they first brought her up. And, and it is not an Adam yeah. call, but I saw somebody on Twitter. I wish I could credit them, but I cannot remember who it was. Um, say, look, in hindsight, it's not an Adam Cole thing, but she would have benefited from signing with NXT instead. Developing, yeah. She would have just been better off going to Florida. And I, I part of me was like, I can't really disagree. I can't tell someone to do what to do in their personal life, but I can't disagree with that point. Like maybe she would have benefited from a little time in that PC instead of being thrust on the national television. There, there's a lot of things that people can give WWE crap for. And they can even say that the PC homogenizes people. I have not seen that. I understand. I, the PC. I, I understand that. Yes, they teach people to, you know, react to a camera a certain way. Maybe they don't let people go 100%. In NXT, they're still at least going 90% or, you know, 85%. Main roster, maybe they don't. But there's a lot of things that WWE does with the PC in terms of 
teaching people how to wrestle better. Just how to become better in-ring wrestlers. And it may not be your favorite indie style or Joshi or Lucha Libre or whatever the case, but they make high-quality, smooth performers. I think people forget the way the Street Profits looked when they first were on NXT TV. Now they're in the main event of Raw looking like they've been on the main roster for years. And WWE does not get enough credit for that. To your point, I think someone like Britt Baker probably would have benefited, like you said, from going to the PC and working around other women with the high-quality talent to kind of help her continue to, to develop. You see it in NXT all the time. Bianca Belair, she started, she had a couple power moves. Now you buy her. Like, you see her in a match, you buy that she can win any match against any opponent, including Shayna Baszler. Um, Before we completely move out of AEW and into NXT, which is our next topic, uh, there was an AEW dark match between Kenny Omega and Joey Janela. Uh, It was like a lights out... Chicago Street Fight. I don't remember where they even were. No, just just the like they did with Joey against uh, Moxley. It was just lights out, unsanctioned, unsanctioned. Um, so here's the question I have for you on this. It's there's no doubt it was a high quality match. I've watched both AEW Dark episodes. For each of them to be an hour of dark matches, it's a lot for me. Honestly, I found myself fast forwarding a lot to get to the finishes for some of the matches that were just eight man tags and things like that that I didn't really care about. Yeah. This one I watched. Front to back. It was like a 35-minute hardcore match. We know Joey Janela's good. We know Kenny Omega's good. Putting them together, great match. For this not to have been on television, for this to be kind of on a throwaway YouTube show that 100,000 people have seen, I think, is the number. Maybe it's a lot more. I I could totally be wrong. It feels to me like a waste. It feels to me like they put these guys in an unnecessarily dangerous situation just because they knew it would be good, but they didn't want to put it on TV for some reason. I, it, it, tell me what you think here. Like, I, I don't wrong? know what they're – the thing is, I, like, AEW, I think first off, because I don't think we've, we've spoken about this on here. I think AEW the, – the, the, um, the concept of AEW Dark, I think is it, – it, it was great when I first heard of it because I can't tell you how many times I've seen on Twitter with people in the arena or me being in an arena personally – before TV taping, where you would look at a few dark matches WWE would give you and be like, wow, that's actually pretty good. I'd like to see that. So what AEW did was like, okay, well, guess what? You you can see our dark matches. We'll put them on YouTube. How's that? I'm like, oh, that's a pretty cool idea. I like that a lot. Um, it, It's tough for me because I said the same thing. I When I saw that they were doing this post the live taping of Dynamite, because they'll, they will do the, they, they will do the it, first couple matches before Dynamite. Right. This was the, the dark. This was the dark match the, main event. The dark main event is the main event of AEW Dark after Dynamite. Right. I was kind of confused. I said, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, Kenny Omega and Joey Janela, like, what? What are you doing this for?" But what I keep, I don't know what their end game is for this AEW Dark. Like, they, they obviously put these two big names out there for a reason. I don't think they did it just for. Craps and giggles. This was there was a reason they promoted Kenny Omega versus Joey Janela in Joey Janela's wheelhouse. Like, ooh, Kenny really doesn't do this a lot, so you're gonna want to see this. So they have some kind of end game. I don't know if it's a revenue aspect or, but they have. There's some kind of goal here to get those YouTube subscribers up on dark. I just don't know what it is. So I want to completely correct myself here because I got two key things wrong. First of all, this was not in Chicago; it was in Boston. 
That's number one. When number, did you? I, I'm sorry, I completely missed no, you saying Chicago. Okay. Number oh, two, you said Chicago Street. I wasn't I sure. No, I, I just assumed. I was like, okay. why are they doing a street fight? So number one, I was in Boston. That's my fault. Number two, it did not have a hundred thousand YouTube views. It has nine. Was it? it has nine hundred thousand YouTube views. So it worked. <laughs> so so let me go ahead. Uh, straight up, I looked. I I it felt wrong when I said it, and I knew I needed to get it correct. Um, that makes a lot more sense to me for them to yeah, put a match of that quality on. Knowing the first episode also did 900,000. So knowing that they can get nearly a million people to at least watch some part of Dark or at least some part of that match, even if they're just watching the final 10 minutes, because that's a YouTube view is not does not need to be the entire show, obviously. Um, That does make it significantly more worthwhile to do something like that. It just felt to me when I was watching the match, they were taking a lot of risks for a dark match for a dark match that I mean, that was. If, well, I'm, if I'm being honest, and I don't want to criticize them for doing good work, it was a pay-per-view caliber match. It really was. But again, like just a, what, what are we now, two, three weeks in with dark at the very least? It's yeah, it, it was a match that told people you have to watch this show. And like, like I said, the only theory I could come up with is there's some kind of financial gain between YouTube and AEW where they're doing this because dark. To this point, it, it hasn't been bad. It's been, like you said, there are some matches you could fast forward through. Like there were a few weeks ago, there was that eight man tag match that was kind of like, all right, there's too much going on here. Like you, you guys got to whittle it down here. Right? It's a little too much wrestling. I, I would prefer it to be a 30 minute show. With, 30 minutes wouldn't be bad. With two matches. Give it to me. I'm good to go. But they're basically doing three hours of television. I mean, and 30 minutes to, to that point, if you say 30 minutes. And you have a Joey Janela versus versus uh, yeah, then it's Kenny a one match. Show. You could say, look, this is going to be the only match. We'll do like a Tony Schiavone studio segment for like ten minutes, right? And then the twenty minutes is going to be these two beating the hell and, out. And of that's each the other. thing. There's Enjoy. no there's no commercials because it's YouTube, so they do a couple things, but it's basically an hour of wrestling. And again, I'm not trying to complain that they're giving us too much. It's just <laughs> it. I mean, it is too much, honestly. It's basically they're doing a raw. They're basically doing three hours. And just one of them is on YouTube. So And yeah, there's a lot of because like you bring up risky. Yeah. We've already had the Moxley Omega match canceled once. So yeah. now a few weeks out, you throw Kenny out there to match with Joey Janela with the tables and the chairs and the, this the guardrail and, that, the bells and, and whistles. It's, just, it's a lot. Just a few weeks out, you're like, okay, we're taking it. Like, you know, John was lucky enough yeah. to come back as quick as he did from another staff infection. Now we're throwing Kenny out there. Didn't Kenny take a bump in a table that was set up backwards, upside That's down? What, yeah, they did the backwards. They actually did the backwards table spot, or the upside down table spot, I think twice in the match. I think yeah. Joey took one and Kenny took so you're one. So t- you're risking potentially one of those pieces, even if it's rigged? Yeah. Stabbing you? like. Which is why, again, like even with the partnerships, like I love the fact that I was able to, in a AAA arena in the six-sided ring, watch Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix give me a classic. But I'm sorry, and I'm sorry if people don't agree with this. Also, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, what if Kenny gets hurt? Right. In Mexico, like, what is the point of this? So like, you have a national, you have a national television show. Let's not forget, also though, that they are in their infancy, and they're going to learn these lessons. So, like, yeah. people, people criticize WWE for like not letting their UK performers go on certain shows where maybe other non-WWE people are getting hurt, or or they don't like the way things are set up. So they're like, you know what, we're not going to send you over there. Yeah. But that's WWE's prerogative to do that. They're, it's and they have every it, right. It's their talent. It's the same way that they trust Evolve. So they say, hey, our NXT guys can go to Evolve, not only because we kind of somewhat own them, even though they don't, um, but we know they're going to get taken care of over there. Yeah, because Gabe is Paul Jr. Right. 
Uh, moving on to NXT, I said I thought AEW had its best episode yet of Dynamite. You know, if I'm being fair, you guys know I'm an NXT fan. I thought NXT had its worst episode since moving to USA Network. Um, and I got called out for it. Straight up, Jack. I uh, posted the story. I don't know if you saw this or <laughs> yeah, not. Did. You did. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a great, it was honestly a great interaction. Uh, it didn't start out great, but he's awesome. Uh, I, I tweeted my results. I think I called the show <laughs> mediocre, which it was. I don't think that's a bad opinion. I was not rude or insulting. Oni Lorkin replies to me. He says, I read your, and, and Oni tweets in all caps. So it always seems angry. This is just what he does. Um, I read your NXT report and it was honestly garbage. One and a half stars, which I laughed at first. And then I thought, wait, Oni Lorkin's mad at me. That's not cool. So I replied to Oni. Sorry you didn't like it, Oni. No disrespect. Everyone worked hard. NXT is my brand of choice. You guys, anyone listening knows that. Uh, and I praise it almost weekly. Just did not think tonight's show hit the usual home run. Gotta call it down the middle. He replied, I like that response. I had one too many chocolate martinis and thought you were being mean, but you're just doing your job. Respect. So that's the right interaction to have, right? Wrestlers get upset. He probably just read the headline, didn't read the story. It was great. I was entertained by it. I'm glad that we had a mutual uh, – we came to a mutual conclusion that I felt the way I felt and he respected that I felt that way. And here's why I felt that way, Jack. NXT on Wednesday night last week, to me, was just nah. a fill – it was a filler show with a ton of the exact same <sighs> match. Short, mediocre, a star going over a nobody. Champa came back. Angel Garza is not a nobody to me. I like him, but to the general fan, he is. Uh, Io Shirai, Matt Riddle, Killian Dane, Tegan Knox, they all had matches that were like four to eight minutes. Yeah, little showcases. They were little just, showcases. They were yeah. all identical. They were all C's. I graded them all C's, or one was a C minus, one was a C plus because they were a little bit better than the other. Um, then they give us Keith Lee versus Dominic Dijakovic, which I still hate that name. It ends in a no contest, which, okay, that's fine, except their first one did. And yeah, the, you got to stay. Yeah, that, oh, man, did that take me away. And the reason it ended in a no contest is because William Regal, right before the match, made it a number one contendership for the North American Championship. Roderick Strong interfered, hit both guys with his title. Okay, fine. I'll buy that. Main event, Damian Priest against Pete Dunne. Really good match. That was really the only thing in the show that delivered to me. Because while Keith Lee... And Dijak are awesome, right? I have seen it before. I know what they can do. The match was so damn good between those two that I said, oh my God, I can't wait for this finish. And they didn't give it to me. It left a really sour taste on my mouth. Now, the main event, Damian Priest and Pete Dunne, was the exact opposite. I thought the match was pretty good. All of a sudden, at the end, I'm seeing Pete Dunne rally here. I'm like, oh my God, they're just going to put Dunne over Priest. And Priest is worthless. No, they shock me. They put Damian Priest, the former Punishment Martinez, over Pete Dunne and solidify him as a future star in NXT. Yeah. And to me, someone who did not watch Ring of Honor, except for a couple times, I probably saw Punishment Martinez wrestle three times. I didn't think he was very good. And I thought his name made him even worse. To me, it said, holy crap, they saw something I didn't in Damian Priest. Yeah. This guy is real. He's extremely talented. And he can be a legitimate star in NXT. Yeah, Punishment in Ring of Honor, it's it's so funny how this worked out. It's just so so ironic. The arguments were that 
this dude is massive and can go in the ring. This is great. His character is just complete and utter. It's just a disaster. It's dog shit, you could say. But it's okay, you say dog shit. There we go. I was looking for I was thinking I of ways not to curse. I know what you the, wanted. Uh, that, that, as I told BC, we get like, you know, a dozen. That That's that it. was the frustration with punishment. So when WWE signed him, you did have the people that said, Well, what the hell are they signing him for? That's what I said. It's like, look, because NXT, like Triple H will figure it and his guy his him and his crew will figure it out with this dude. Because he he has all the tools, they'll figure it out, and they have figured it out. I like Damian Priest's character. I like where they're going with it. Um, like like we said, like this this war so far is is not a war at all. Like if it's a because what we say Wednesday night war, like they were calling it, it's like okay, how are, which TV show is going to get me to tune into the other? NXT really hasn't done anything to make me tell AEW to go screw itself. Yeah, no, that's so fair. that's fair. That goes back to your point. Where, and especially this show this week, how it was like, as you called it, mediocre. You also said last week on this show that basically NXT right now isn't essentially trying to beat AEW. They're just trying to siphon viewers away. They're trying to take people away, as many as they can, from TNT. And then they're just going to put out these wrestlers. Uh, The showcase matches were just that. They were little showcases, which aren't necessarily bad. No, th- just no. Felt unnecessary. The idea is not bad. Having six of them is bad. It's, yeah, having too much is bad. Like when, like we talked to Rob about the the video segments introducing the new draft picks. It was short to the point. Get excited about these guys. You're good. NXT didn't have to do what it did the other day. Um, another problem I have, and I've had this for a while. I'm sorry if anyone disagrees. Pete Dunn has been ready for Raw or SmackDown for years. Yeah. Pete Dunn is also, and people can say, Pete Dunn is the most protected wrestler in that company. In the entire company. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, NXT UK, 205 Live. For the past few years, it has become abundantly clear that Pete Dunn is Triple H's adopted son. And he has been the most protected. 400 and some days as champion and his loss is to Walter of all people. <laughs> right, right. Of course. Like his loss is to Walter. As soon as Walter was, as soon as they announced that match, as soon as we saw Walter in NXT yeah, UK, we knew, okay, finally he's going to lose. That's where the roadblock right. is because the, right. Triple H finally, because Triple H loves Walter, so Triple H's like, okay, this is worthy enough to take to take the prize from my son, and then I will move my son over closer to me here in the United States. But it goes back to a point we talked about. Yes, I'm excited for Raw because of Paul Heyman and the young crew and. What he could do if Pete Dunn were on that roster right now. Yeah. I wish that Pete was there because the, the, the kid is just too t- – he's a prodigy, Pete Dunn is. He is just a prodigy. Well, he, is so, he has made being a heel in this modern era so – well, he made it so good where eventually he got to that point where you can't boo the guy anymore. You couldn't boo him because yeah. he was so good at what he did. And there was just like, there was, it was like, we got to get him out of this NXT system and get him onto the main roster. They gave him a small chance over in, in England when he came out and beat the crap out of Enzo. Looked like, just came, he's too short. Now nah, it doesn't matter. The dude comes off like a star. It doesn't matter. I think for me, the biggest issue with NXT and with adding him to the main NXT roster is for years, since its inception, 
the point of NXT is to develop. It's to put on a really good show, get fans excited, give the lapsed fan what they want in terms of high-quality wrestling and long-term storytelling, but also to get people ready for the next level. Now, wrestling fans, WWE fans, sometimes were angry when their favorites went to the next level. But if you don't have Finn Balor leave NXT, if you don't have Nakamura leave or McIntyre or Andrade, then you don't get Ciampa and Gargano and Adam Cole in the main event because there's so many of them still there. So what NXT is going to have to figure out how to do, and you can already tell they're struggling with it, is how do we keep the same quality going knowing that the people that lose have to stay? No longer is it that when you beat Gargano finally, he moves on and and Velveteen Dream steps in. Gargano's still there. One of the reasons he's not on TV is they don't have anything for him right now. So now you bring Finn Balor back to challenge Ciampa. But Ciampa, sorry, to challenge Adam Cole. But Adam Cole is already getting a challenge from Ciampa, who's just come back. You have Rhea Ripley in who should be the natural new challenger to Shayna Baszler, but you still have Io Shirai who lost to her. You still have Bianca Belair who lost to her. You still have Candice LeRae who that's, lost to her. And that's, that's another point. Like you have right now, and you talk to Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Owens, everybody for years now, people, people say who's the best women's wrestler on the planet. A, a an answer you get a majority of the time is Candice LeRae. It's Io Shirai, and in my opinion, I think it's Candice. Overall, Candice is just that's why she was allowed to wrestle with the men so much because they just and so you give her a title shot, all right, she comes up short. Now, in my mind, in NXT, now you just you say, all right, you figure out a way, get her out of there. It was like a, people got mad at me when I didn't fall into the trap, but I I mentioned on Twitter how after the Street Profits said we're bringing a mystery partner and hi, and we want the smoke in all caps. Said, ah, could not gonna get my hopes up, but they could be alluding to Matt Riddle. People right. Said, oh, but NXT, I was like, look, man, you just send Finn Balor down there. I think NXT will live without Matt Riddle if you put Matt Riddle on Raw with Paul Heyman. I think they'll be okay. And he got his title shot. Whatever happened, happened. Get him out of there quietly. By the way, just real and, quick, I just don't want to forget. Not because of the marijuana connotations or anything like that. But if you did give Paul Heyman Matt Riddle, he could turn him into RVD. In terms of in terms of in terms of level of over fan favorite, he could turn him into RVD. Yeah, so that's why when people were like, "Boy, you can't take him away from NXT," and I said, "But it goes back to the point you said about too much, too much star power for NXT is a bad thing." Yeah, in some respects, that's why I said you have the option now to take a Johnny Gargano, a Matt Riddle, and say, "Look, man, we don't really need you here right now because." Again, Pete, like I said, to going back to the original point, I don't like seeing him used in that role, even though it wasn't a clean loss. I don't like seeing him used in that role of putting over Damian Priest. I, I didn't like it. Like, I don't want to see him used like that. I would rather see Pete go develop himself a little more up with the big boys because that's where he belongs. So it's frustrating to watch him have to do that when for years since the first NXT tournament you knew, or the UK tournament, you looked at this kid and you're like, oh man, they got something with this kid. Absolutely. And then Triple H all of a sudden snags him. He's like, oh, look, I'm building everything around you. So I hate seeing him do stuff like this, but that's where, like you said, NXT could run into a problem where the star power is a bad thing. But you know what? We want wins and losses to matter, right? Sure. And bringing it back to the NXT show on Wednesday, Damian Priest beat clean 
Pete one of the most protected guys in WWE total, proper NXT, NXT UK, anywhere. So they utilized the strength of Pete Dunne to put over Damian Priest, and I thought that was great. In the opposite vein, going back to it, the Keith Lee-Dijakovic situation, they again had me because their matches are fantastic, right? So they had me rolling. They had me buying into, I cannot wait to see who wins this match. And they kind of pulled the rug out from under me. Now, this week, coming up on Wednesday, do I think that the match is going to be bad? Roderick Strong against Keith Lee and Dijak? Hell no. I am so excited for it, right? Like, how he's going to do a backbreaker to Keith Lee, because you know it has to happen. Yep. I have no idea, but I am excited. He'll take care of it. Yeah, he will. I'm excited to see it and happen. It's gonna be cool. Um, so, so I'm not saying NXT is bad, but you know we have to judge this on a week to week basis. And I think I thought NXT the first episode was better straight up than AEW. Week two, I thought they were pretty close to even with AEW having a slight edge. This week, I thought it was clear AEW was the better show. The ratings for both, by the way, are going down equally. They're each going down about ten percent per week. It really leads me to wonder where they're going to settle in at and if either company is going to be happy. I think AEW, if they're at 900000 a million, I, I think, I think can, they're you, fine. But I don't think do, Vince – I just don't think Vince is going to be happy with six seven 700000 No, probably not. Um, curious, though, because you do the recaps, and I, I happen to miss them So because I'm watching AEW because I have to edit our recaps from our writer, Brent Brookhouse. Right. What else do they have advertised for NXT tomorrow? I don't know. Do you know off the top of your head? No, I don't. Besides that. And the thing with NXT also is when people say, yeah, WWE has this to compete with AEW. Well, WWE is promo- and Fox are promoting the hell out of SmackDown, right? AEW and TNT are promoting the hell out of Dynamite. The only t- time you see an ad for NXT is if you're watching Raw or, Speaking. or stuff on NXT Network. Speaking of, I don't know if you get. I mean, uh, yeah, I, on US I, Network, I, yeah. I know it's re- I know it's regional, but um, how hilarious is it on Friday nights? I, I don't know when you're watching. Do you watch? Um, do you happen to watch SmackDown and during the commercial breaks see like ten ads for Ring of Honor? No, those are right, those my, are local ads, s- and because you're you're not in Sinclair. Philly, you're not in Philly, but because you're close. I get yeah. it. It is. It's so hilarious because the first week it was on Fox. The first commercial break was like Ring of Honor Wrestling Saturday nights, 11 o'clock. I, I was like, oh, so Ring of Honor's getting some free pub in this. All right. That's, that works what, I, what I will tell you is funny is that uh, I sometimes use Xfinity. They have an app for Roku. And yeah. uh, on Saturdays in particular, when there's a lot of college football games on, I use the Xfinity app so I can watch another game on. I have a Pico projector alongside my TV. What's, I find I laugh every single week. I go to the sports tab to find the most recent games. There's all the college football games, baseball games going on. It does not list WWE. It does, it does not list AEW. It lists Ring of Honor. <laughs> and I, I just I, – I shrug. I, like, I have no idea why. It always makes me chuckle a little bit. But all right. Main event, folks, is over. We do have a lot of show left despite us going pretty quick, I think, and covering a lot in a very short period of time. But Jack – Again, no soundboard. We're just moving straight in to hero or zero. Big dog. Uh, So with BC not here, I'm going to read the topics. Jack and I will alternate who speaks first on each one. First one is Cain Velasquez made a surprise appearance on Raw, basically interrupting Shelton Benjamin, burying Rey Mysterio. So the hero or zero I have for this 
is basically whether it worked for us, right? Did it make any sense for Velasquez to be there and did it get him more over? And I got to be honest, for me, it's a zero. I loved what Shelton Benjamin did. I really liked what Rey Mysterio did, being a total baby face, you know, thanking the crowd. I thought he repeated himself a few times, but that was fine. Again, it felt like an extemporaneous promo. It didn't feel like something that was written for him, right? And Shelton too. It felt he was allowed to go out there and speak for himself. I also like that they have Shelton Benjamin in this Brock Lesnar storyline as a callback because they just did it a few months ago. So they're saying, okay, this relationship is real and we're going to keep talking about it and bringing it to the forefront. That's all great. But you have Cain Velasquez's music hit. I popped. He comes down to the ring, leaves his shirt on. I popped. He steps into the ring. I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. They're going to do something. And I, off the top of my head, I don't know what the name of the amateur wrestling move is that they did, but he basically did two amateur wrestling takedowns of Shelton Benjamin, put him in a headlock for 10 seconds, and then rolled him out of the ring. What I want Cain Velasquez to do, what's going to get Cain Velasquez over to me as a wrestling fan is for him to do a professional wrestling move, a body slam, a suplex, a vertical suplex. Have him do anything that says to me, this guy can actually wrestle and will pop me as a fan. Instead, all they showed is that he can take him down amateur wrestling style and throw some bad punches. So for me, it was a zero. Uh, Zero. I mean, even I gave it a good grade, the rock recap overall, and which again, to your, that was more like because of Shelton. Like I love how yeah. I love the involvement of Shelton in this and the potential down the road, the tease. Yeah, I don't know how they would do it though with Brock on SmackDown, but I'm sure you could find some kind of loophole, but a, a tag match between those four people, especially uh, giving Shelton something meaningful to do is fantastic. By the way, that, but, ta- that tag match is, is what probably should be at blood money in the sand for probably especially if you're not going to give us Kane WWE champion, then right. absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, no, you, you you touched on it. And so did I in the robbery cap last night. Things could change when we get to crown jewel in under two weeks. But to me right now, and spent last night was an indicator with the way he handled Shelton, that they want to present Kane Velasquez, like the report said when he came in as the, um, the mauler, like, you know, he they're going to build up that he had a first round TKO over Brock nine years ago. So he's just because the part the part you missed in that was he had the takedowns, the headlock, but then those strikes, right, which were not very good. Like tell try and I get it. Trying to teach a man who was once considered one of the greatest UFC heavyweights, if not the greatest of all time, trying to teach him to pull back his strikes very when difficult. he has somebody on the ground. Yeah is hard and it comes off as awkward and they did against Shelton last night. Like when he was throwing the ones against Brock were kind of meh, but I'm sure Brock said, told Kane, like, look, man, you know, you could go a little bit and I'll cover up. Like, don't worry about it. But when he's in there with someone like Shelton, I'm sure Kane gets nervous and says, I got to pull back a little bit on this man. He's not going to used to, he's not going to be used to me beating him up like this. So right now they are presenting Kane in a way that he's going to go to crown jewel Come out like he did in the UFC and just maul Brock with his takedowns and these strikes. Yeah. And we're not going to see the Lucha Libre stuff that gained him so much buzz in the wrestling world to begin with. We won't know that for certain until he gets in the ring next week. But for right now, that's how he's being presented to me. And I'm not a fan of it. And we also don't know if that will be the only version of Kane that we see. Like maybe maybe against Brock, he does that because that's what's necessary. Maybe otherwise, we do see the Lucha Libre style. They all... 
they've already announced that Cain Velasquez and Rey Mysterio will have a tag team match in Mexico in like early November or something. So clearly in that match, he's not going to be a mauler, right? So if they do keep him with Ray and they do allow him to be, to have this flexibility, um, then I do think we will see the wrestling abilities of him. But I wanted to see him run the ropes. I wanted to yeah. see him do those moves. That would have put him over far more than doing two front takedowns, if that's what it's called, um, and putting him in a headlock. It's just like... Yeah, the, the take, like I said, the takedowns, and okay, like, I get it. Like, And plus, Shelton is a national, cha- you know, he's a championship wrestler. Sure. Collegiate All-American. Sure. So, like, can't take him down. Okay, I get it. I get the point you're making. The headlock, all right, I get the point you're making. It was when he went into the strikes that just came off so awkward is where they lost me on it. And I was like, oh, that doesn't look good at all. Yeah, like if they had squared up, if they had squared up, because Shelton did mention in the promo, I trained Brock at the University of Minnesota. Yeah. So if they if he's like if Kane had grabbed the mic and said, like, all right, you want to go? Let's go. Throw the mic down and they squared up with each other, amateur wrestling style, and yeah. then he did that, that might have sold it to me. Instead, they wanted me as a viewer to take a leap from Shelton's promo to the takedowns, thinking like that made him dominant, where as a wrestling fan, what I want to see is Brock grabbing someone and suplexing him over his head. German suplex. Yep. So I almost would have rathered him do Brock. Hit, hit three German suplexes on Shelton, roll him out of the ring, and flex and be like, I'm just like him. Like, I'm just as bad as yep. he is. You know what I mean? So it was just a zero to me overall. The Cain Velasquez presentation, you know, not great. I thought the entrance music was okay. But it's yeah. just, it's it's... Again, I am the fan that they should be trying to get with Kane, right? They're not going to get Brandon Wise, who's our co-host on the MMA podcast, who is a big-time MMA fan who casually understands some of WWE Attitude Era history. They're not going to get him to watch Raw or Crown Jewel or uh, SummerSlam or anything else because there's Kane Velasquez. But what they should be able to do is take the wrestling fan and say, hey, you know that badass Brock Lesnar? We got another one. And they're not, yeah, they're not doing that right now. It's, it's a tough sell. It's a really tough sell for them. But uh, got to get past this. Car- the, the crown jewel nonsense doesn't help either. This like what, doing this in Saudi Arabia is just such garbage. This is what I said earlier. It's every single year. It is the low point of WWE booking. That does not mean it's good otherwise. But it is, I honestly would have. It, it just, is especially bad when they build to blood money in the sand. I would have just said the more the more I've been thinking. About, I would have just settled on the Tyson Fury appearance. Absolutely. Just, just settle on that, man. And just tell the Saudi people, look, not only are you getting a uh, world championship boxing fight for the titles, the actual titles in just in, de- in um, December, but we're going to WWE is going to bring you the lineal heavyweight champion undefeated. Like that's enough really, enough. Really quick aside. This is not part of Hero or Zero. I just feel like I need to mention it. Did you see this thing about Alberto Del Rio and Tito Ortiz? They're fighting in. Do we have to? No, I just, I don't even want to give, I don't, the picture? I saw the picture. I don't even want to give analysis on it. I just want to say, I don't, are, they're fighting for his promotion. Is it an MMA promotion or a wrestling promotion? MMA promotion. Okay. So it's, Al- it's. Alberto Durio is an investor in what's called Combates America. Okay. So it's an, it's a mixed martial arts promotion. So it's real. It's, it's an MMA promotion. And like, they are having a, they are having a title fight, but the title fight they are having is not for a t- what what a title really means. This is actually Silver King's going to say it, a belt fight. They are putting up their own personal collection 
of for Del Rio, it's his WWE Spinner Championship. For Tito Ortiz, it's his which one is it? The UFC champ, UFC light heavyweight, the UFC the light same. heavyweight championship, right? They're and they're putting the actual belts on the line against one another with the winner taking all. I like. I, I kind of wish Brian was on the show just only to talk about this. But what the hell is this? Oh, I could talk about it. Like, no, I know you can. I know you can. But for him, I, th- I feel like he would think it's so absurd that he would go crazy. This is the this is the most ridiculous thing <laughs> I've ever seen. And seeing those two stare at each other like that, and the garbage trash talk between the two of them. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like I this, said, this I honest to God, after last year, I did not think things in the MMA community could get worse than Oscar De La Hoya dragging Tito and Chuck Liddell out of retirement. And putting them in a cage. And then Tito Ortiz, of all people, is like, hold on. I'll one-up you. Give me one second here. Yeah. And this is just, no, no. You know what, though? I do have one more aside, too. I'm really not trying to. Go because we, we completely skipped it, and we're talking about Saudi Arabia right now. Last night on Bra. What in the hell was that parade, man? What do you mean the parade? Did you see it? Or were you, like, not watching? Did you miss it? Yeah, I missed it. What are you talking about? Okay. I thought, all right, at the time, I got really, really pissed off because they started talking about legit, well, it's just, they said Riyadh. Okay, you know, their little go-around Vic Joseph. Yeah, yeah, right, right. They cut. Oh, oh, the the, um, the ceremony with Undertaker. The, the ceremony yeah, with yeah. the Undertaker and what looked like Roman Reigns made out of butter on a float holding a WWE title. So, and Undertaker over there getting one of his Saudi paychecks just to stand there and look scary so, in a parade. And then the fireworks. Yeah, best I can understand. What? Best I can understand, uh, just to clarify what Jack is talking about, for anyone who didn't see it or just is curious, best I can understand, there's something called Riyadh season, which is a maybe a month or something during the Saudi calendar where they do a ton of events, uh, boxing, concerts, wrestling, other entertainment, whatever. That's part of why they have this crown jewel event every, I guess, October slash November. Um, And The Undertaker was there as like WWE's, you know, stand in. I think Vince was there, too. There was a picture of both of them a couple days ago. Um, But Undertaker was there and like was in full gear. They played his music. They showed him randomly. You're right. That I mean, that's a zero. I said it on Twitter last night. Just folks love anything in your life. As much as Mark Calloway loves those Saudi Arabia paychecks, yeah, because even it. though he's not wrestling on the card, by God, he will go over there and stand on a damn float. Yeah, he's on that card. Not on that card. wasn't wasn't on WrestleMania. He but makes, he will do that. He man. will get. He will get the blood money from the sand. Uh, Jack, continuing on with Hero or Zero. So this was a big hot topic in the world of professional wrestling. So Luchasaurus and what is called the Jungle Express. I kind of like a boy and his dinosaur better as a name, but whatever. Uh, and by the way, if they called them Jungle Express and WWE, people would have shit all over it because it's just like Viking experience. But yeah, whatever. I digress. Uh, Luchasaurus got hurt, uh, was not able to compete in the tag team tournament match with Jungle Boy against the Lucha Bros. So AEW, instead of finding another tag team or giving him a different partner, it made the most sense to me, uh, decided to put Marco Stunt, who is part of Jungle Express, uh, with Jungle Boy in this tag team match. And the crowd was hot for it. You know, pretty damn good match against the Lucha Bros, but people lost their freaking minds. And when I say people, Jim Cornette among them, uh, but really a lot of people, a lot of wrestling fans, diehard, work rate, some AEW fans that they allowed 
Marco Stunt, all 5'2 of his size, uh, maybe even a little bit shorter than that, to get a significant amount of offense on the Lucha Bros, Pentagon, and Phoenix. So here are a zero for that this criticism of the booking is justified. Zeroing the criticism. That's, this is ridiculous, man. I, I didn't even know why we were talking about this. And I think the whole thing started, which is another dumb thing. Like, I think somebody just tweeted, ah, my kid said that he can't believe Marco is going up against these big men. Ha ha, this is, this is insane. And it just kind of took off from there. You know, like a, the smallest thing on the internet could explode. Well, this was, a, I mean, listen, this was a pretty damn big topic on the internet. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not bringing it, it, it. I'm not bringing it up because I feel that way. I'm just telling you, like, this no, was, it, yeah, it explodes. Yeah. No, I know because this was this was huge the past week. But it's ridiculous because what's one of the things about pro wrestling? You're supposed to suspend your disbelief. Did, and plus, did he go over? No. Did he take the loss? Yeah. And plus, like, this is a David versus Goliath story. Anytime Marco steps into that ring, just like it was a man we were just talking about, and Chris Jericho brought it up in Marco's defense. Well, like, I, that was a zero. Jericho's defense was a zero to me. There was there was a time when Ray was, especially now, mind you, the time period in which Ray was trying to break out as a big star in this industry with the steroid junkies and all of them. Like so it, it might have been equally but, as hard for Ray in that time, despite everything he can do. And the same thing with Marco here. And Marco's entertaining. He's an entertaining kid who's earned this opportunity because I've seen that kid do some wild shit on the indies. Some crazy stuff. He like he's earned this opportunity. People think like they're just throwing a little kid out there. Marco has paid any dues he possibly could to get this opportunity. AEW saw him and said, "You are another thing." What 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 do we get on a lot of wrestlers about? Oh, they're not unique enough. Marco's about as unique as you can get. Right. Mostly due to his size. And AEW has that gold mine. And you know what? For some people, I'm just gonna say it. If he was in WWE, I bet you he'd be getting some praise. Bet you he wouldn't be getting laughed at by some of these people. They'd be like, oh, uh, what would WWE can maybe work with this no, kid? They, no, they'd give, him, they'd give the same I some, some would not have. But here's the thing. In but, WWE, to be fair, and I don't, I don't think everything WWE does is bad like some of these AEW fans. But in WWE, he probably would have a, a, a really strange gimmick that makes fun of him. But, and maybe he, maybe he would. He'd be treated I mean, less seriously. I think because the, the reason it works for me, the reason why criticism of this is a zero for me, is because he is treated seriously in AEW. And if he's a yeah. if he's a wrestler just like everyone else, he should be able to be successful in any given match just like anyone else. There was nothing more surprising about Marco Stunt having levels of success in that match than Humberto Carrillo having levels of success against the Universal Champion, one of your top stars in Raw, in his first yeah. ever match. Then in John Cena having success against Kurt Angle in his first ever match. Now, you're going to say, well, look, John Cena really big dude. Okay. You're going to say Humberto Carrillo, really fast dude, really athletic dude. Okay. Marco Stunt, had they told the story better on commentary, had they said the Lucha Bros in preparation for this match were preparing for Luchasaurus, a huge dude and, and Jungle Boy, that combination. And they had, they went from a guy who's 6'8 to a guy who's 5'2. They had no idea what to expect. And it's clearly affecting them in the match. Had they told the story better, maybe the criticism would have been a little less. But I had really no issue with that match. Look, None. could they have turned down his offense 20%? Yeah. If I was booking it, I would not have given him as much offense. I wouldn't have let the match go as long as it did. I would have made the Lucha Bros look a little bit more dominant, considering they're not just a tag team. It's not the best friends. 
they're the damn Lucha Bros. It's Pentagon and yeah. Phoenix. These are like the class of your division, right? So I probably wouldn't have booked it the same way. But am I going to criticize it and say it was so unbelievable and screw AEW and screw Marco Stunt? Absolutely not. So a zero, no. to, zero to the criticism, but also a zero to Chris Jericho for I'm happy that he had his back. Good, they're coworkers, they're maybe friends, whatever. That's great. Marco Stunt ain't Rey Mysterio. Marco Stunt ain't Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko is five eight. Rey Mysterio is five six build height. Marco but Stunt, again, Adam, Marco the Stunt, hold on. Eras in which okay. Rey was trying to break in. Okay, Marco Stunt is five two build height. The, the the point, the difference that I'm making is Mysterio, despite his height, is a solidly built, larger type of dude who can withstand punishment. Let's say. Dean Malenko, Adam, hold Adam, on, go hold, back and watch Ray's. Let me go back and watch Ray's. No, 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 because you're wrong. I know he was smaller. Watch Ray's first match. I know go he. I know he. ECW. Go look at him. I know he was smaller. We're not talking about his first match, though. We're talking about once he was established a little bit. Okay, Dean Malenko, despite being five eight, which is not that short, not that much shorter than me. Um, Dean Malenko was billed as this true wrestler, king of all holds. You know, could do anything with anyone. Right? They had that gravitas behind them. Marco Stunt doesn't. So I didn't like the comparisons that Jericho made, but I do respect that he stood up for the guy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, moving on here, Hero or Zero. So Kevin Owens ends up being the surprise that the Street Profits had been holding back for what we thought was a six-man tag team match with the entire OC, but ended up being just a tag team match with AJ Styles at ringside. To be fair, when his music hit, the crowd popped but silver king didn't silver king was just like yeah uh i've seen this before i had high hopes they kept using on the show every single guy i thought might be their partner first it was alistair black then it was ricochet ricochet first then alistair black then rollins and i'm like okay who's left because i know who's overseas it didn't really never make any sense to me and i never would have thought that wwe would honestly especially on a raw episode where everything felt fresh go back to the well of 2017 aj styles and kevin owens a feud that fans badly wanted when it started and badly wanted to end by the time it was over because they just didn't really work that well together the matches were never really that good and it was just straight up disappointing. So they've turned him face, they've turned Styles heel, and they're going right back to the well to 2017. So straight up, you guys know I thought the match was po- a really big positive. We talked about it earlier. The pop Owens got and Styles selling the stunner, that was good too. So I'm glad the crowd finally popped for something. But Owens being that special guy, the surprise, after three hours of promoting it, plus an hour the prior week, it was a zero for me. What about you? Yeah, are, are we just talking the, the overall premise Owens. or just KO, or is KO Styles? Uh, Owens being the surprise oh, and, them, and them clearly going uh, this direction with the storyline. A, a zero with the prove me wrong because it, 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 it didn't come across well. There, here's one criticism of Monday. Like I said, you, they built the whole show around this third person in the six-man tag for uh, – the Street Profits, then we get to the match, and the ring announcer was the first to give it off when he said, accompanied by AJ Styles, Gallows, and Anderson. Right. It's like, wait a minute. No, this, what are you talking about? They go to commercial, come back, and the Profits are wrestling 
the OC in a tag team match. And AJ's on the outside as a cheerleader. I'm like, wait a minute. No mention during the show that it was changed. No mention. So like, wait a minute. Really quick correction. There was one mention during the show that it was just a tag team match. But after that mention, they then later said either a six-man tag team match or the OC against Street Profits and a mystery partner. So Almost they, they went back and forth on it. It I don't know why, but go ahead. Sorry, continue with your point. No, it almost, it almost makes you think like they were writing something on the fly. Like these mm-hmm. were decisions made. Like so, something about this got changed up a little Maybe. bit. But either either way. Maybe. Um, no, and then the zero, again, prove me wrong. Because we all remember, and I we all remember that 2017 feud with these two. As talented as they both are, two of the best of this generation, it just didn't work. Yeah, it was Nothing weird. about it clicked. It was the matches just can't. They botched one pay-per-view match. Yep. Botched one so bad they had to bring back Chris Jericho to get involved. Yep. Because they were like, ah, this just isn't really working that well. And then they kind of went, uh, I don't know, maybe with this new KO character, which who obviously right now I think is being positioned to be the top baby face of Raw for Paul Heyman. Because let me tell you something, as great as that Humberto Carrillo-Seth Rollins match was last night. They are slow building to stole Seth turn and heal. He has they heel are. tendencies in that ring. Absolutely. His mannerisms, his interviews. It, it, last night, it was evident that Seth Rollins is not going to be a baby face for much longer. No. He's turning and it's slow. Yep. And when he turns, the man coming for him is KO. He is 100%. That seems he is 100% to be where the pieces heel. are going. But for right now, in the present, no, zero, on the, because it, it left a bad taste in them. Maybe it'll be different this time. These guys are talented enough to to make good on a do-over. But no, zero on this, because like you said, initial pop, even for me, you didn't pop, I popped for the music. Because I was like, oh, all right, that's pretty cool, I guess. You know, KO coming out to help them. But then it, when it sunk in that we have to rehash this, I was like, ah, uh, I don't think I like we, this so much. We also haven't really been far removed from KO. It's like we just saw him. So it's not like it was a long return like McIntyre up front. Where that got a pop from me at the beginning of the show because I was like, oh my God, I forgot Drew McIntyre is on Raw. And what a great person for Ric Flair, who we didn't even talk about. I love heel Ric Flair. <laughs> Those promos, man. Heel Ric Flair promos are the best. That's all that probably needs to be said. He was fantastic. I don't care that he mumbles a little bit. He's, he's older. He's sick. Like, just leave the guy alone, okay? Great. It was great. Uh, but McIntyre popped me because I was like, oh my God, I totally forgot about him. That's awesome. Even though he's only been away for like six weeks. But... Uh, on the opposite vein, Owens was just like, mah, mah. you know, like uh, it was just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, now at the same token, I did like that it wasn't a six man because it saved the surprise and it allowed the street profits to actually uh, yes. win their match. Whereas if you have Owens back, he's either getting the stunner on the guy who the profits pin or Owens is taking the pin. This allowed the profits to actually get over themselves. So, that, to me, is where I thought it worked. Um, moving on, two more parts of Hero Zero left. Jack, back over to SmackDown. Bailey kind of gave us our first real look at our heel persona, which, strangely to me, just screams. Like, she looks like an ant now with the short hair and darker. It's like she's going through a midlife crisis almost. I don't know. That's just the, the connotation I get from it. What I thought was strange was she had Sasha Banks at her side. And I know they're friends, and I know they're yeah. on the same brand, and I know they just went through the feud where they were tag team partners against Becky Lynch and Charlotte for their own separate feuds. But just like I thought 
that having Bailey by Sasha's side toned down Sasha? Do you think having Sasha by Bailey's side is toning down the new heel Bailey? Here no, zero. no, zero that if turn it, toning it down. But no, simply because they proved I, I was a bit nervous on Friday. I'll admit when I saw Sasha come out with her because I'm like, look, if Sasha's going to do most of the talking, then screw this. I don't want I, no, I don't want this. But we come to find out that hey, guess what? Bailey is a good heel promo. The girl that got criticized for so long for her promos, you turn her heel, she cuts a good one. So then it's like, okay, and Sasha is just standing there as her friend, which if it wasn't such common knowledge that they're legit best friends in real life, I probably would have a problem with it. If they were just portrayed as, but like I just watched the Chronicle for Sasha Banks on WWE Network and everything was Pam was there for me. Pam, 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 this, Pam, that, Pam. She looks like Pam. She looks like someone she, named Pam with this hair. Yeah, she now looks like Pam. Yeah, she does. Like, Bailey legit looks like her real name. Yeah. But everything was Sasha. It was Pam this, Pam that. So, like, you are you are conditioning everyone. These two are like sisters. And if they happen to be on the same brand. And, again, what won it over for me was Bailey was allowed to talk at her new heel persona. I wanted her to so badly say, F them kids. Like, my wife said, you have issues. And I said, come on, she should just say it once. Just take the ramifications. Mm-hmm. But she didn't. But no, Sasha kind of shut up, spoke when she was spoken to, didn't didn't like speak on Bailey's behalf. And if that keeps up, I'm okay with this because look, for better or worse, and when it comes to the in ring product, eventually that's for the better. So since these two are on the same brand, we know they are going to feud at some point. So there's no problem with keeping them together right now as this heel team, especially since Bailey has proven, much like Sami Zayn, who remember Sami. Heel Sami Zayn can't work. That is impossible. You turn Sami's heel and you're like, well, look at this. Entertaining is all hell. Bailey could never be turned heel. What are you going to do? That's crazy. Bailey's a good heel. Who who would have thunk it? Like they, yeah. So you keep these two together because they are so close in real life. And then we see where it goes from there as long as, like I said, as long as Sasha doesn't do most of the talking and Bailey, as the champion, speaks on her behalf. No, we're good. I love. I've loved all of this. I'm going to mostly agree with you. Um, the thing I'm going to disagree with is I don't like Sami Zayn heel or face. I know I'm in a minority, but it just it, no, it just doesn't work for me. My concern with Bailey being heel, while I do like it very much, is if they do feud with Sasha, if she does feud with Sasha, the only direction for Sasha to go is face, and we just got her back as the legit boss that we've wanted for so long. It just feels to me like. They really wasted Sasha's comeback. They had something really good going on with Becky, and they just had her lose clean. Yeah, I, Clash, I, of Champ- Clash of Champions didn't surprise me. Hell in a Cell surprised me. Hell in a Cell me. surprised me. It was a great match. It was a great excuse for Becky to lose the title. Um, Banks was working top tier. Her abilities, that match was incredible. And now you have this character that you brought back that was being a badass. I'm hotter than you. You know, I have more money than you. I'm cooler than you, all this stuff. And she's just silent next to Bailey. And I'm not saying it can't work. So, you know, I'm on your side here. But Sasha Banks in WWE is something that seeing her succeed is really important. And I really have no idea what the plans are for her on a show where her only contemporary really is Bailey. While on the other brand, you have Becky, Charlotte, Asuka, Kyrie Sane, etc. It, yeah. It's where are we going with Sasha Banks? And that really concerns me. Last but not least here on Hero Zero, they officially did it. 
The name change is finalized. Chad Gable is now Shorty G. Uh, and he was given an opportunity to cut a promo about that, how basically he's embracing the name, took it even further by shortening it to G, and plans to just run through his competition and be a you know a badass wrestler and prove that he can do what people say he can't. Look, I, I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times here. You can hate the name Shorty G. You can think it's corny, right? AEW, they got a, a guy dressed as a dinosaur. They got another guy's name's Jungle Boy. You got in WWE a guy named R-Truth. When, when Paul White was hired, they called him Big Show, okay? Names can be overcome. Ultimately, they are pushing Chad Gable. They are sh- putting him on my television. He is in the Team Hogan match at Blood Money in the Sand, as worthless as that is. He is one of 10 featured wrestlers in that match. They're giving him mic time. They're having him win squash matches. What the hell else do you want them to do? Yeah, they could just call him Chad Gable. I'm, I understand. But if adopting Shorty G is what it takes for Chad Gable to get pushed by Vince McMahon and for him to get the opportunity to be just like a Daniel Bryan, prove himself, just like a CM Punk, etc. He doesn't necessarily have the charisma of those guys. But to get him in front of fans that can appreciate his work ethic and his, his work rate and his ability in the ring, if it takes calling him Shorty G and he's able to pull it off on the mic like he did on Friday night, it's a hero for me. I don't care. Make fun of the name. Call WWE stupid. Not everything they do is bad. They're pushing Chad Gable. They're pushing Buddy Murphy. They're pushing Aleister Black. They're pushing Andrade. What else do you want? Hero. You know, dude, you know, dude I, I think, Adam, I think looking over, like, criticisms on message boards and, and the internet, and I think you and I are the only two human beings that are on board with this. Because I, everything you said, I like, is Chad Gable on my TV? Yes. Is Chad Gable a very talent, all around talented individual? Yes, he is. We've seen, I have seen a lot worse in my day. A lot worse. I have worse. seen guys come away from a lot worse. A lot worse things that get over. A lot worse things that do eventually get over. What was, what, I was, mean, what was the stupid Brodus Clay gimmick? Oh, the Funkasaurus. It got over. That got over. That got over. Fence. Hell. Folks, do, here's a here's a perfect example. What did we all do the first time we were presented with the thought of the new day? Oh my it god! It got crapped on. Yep. It got us Kofi Kingston WWE champion, Biggie in the in a consistent spotlight where the man always deserved it. Xavier Woods is the breakout star. You cannot take these things on the surface in professional wrestling, especially when it comes from the head of Vince McMahon. And just go, well, nope, that's a failure. But you haven't seen it. Nope, don't care. That's a, But he hasn't even been. Nope, nope, don't care. That's a failure. Crap this. AEW rules. You can't do that. Like, give this dude a chance to do his job. They gave us a King of the Ring tournament, which pe- listeners to this show know I've been begging for for two years. They gave us a King of the Ring tournament with a booked plan, long-term yeah. storytelling, to accomplish two things. Number one, to give Baron Corbin a fresh gimmick, something to win him back, let him be a heel who gets booed for real, not just for X-Pac heat, and to develop Chad Gable and turn him into the Shorty G character. You cannot like the name, but fans prejudged this when the trademark filing got leaked and someone said, oh, 
WWE trademarked the shorty G. What the hell is that? And then Dave Meltzer reported, that's the plan for Chad Gable. And fans revolted. They didn't have any idea what the storyline was going to be. They didn't get to see it develop. They saw it go from Chad Gable. He was called Shorty. Then he became Shorty Gable. Now he's Shorty G. They thought that he was just going to get called Shorty G or something stupid was going to happen. WWE, with this, is giving us every single thing that we've asked them for. It makes sense. It's not convoluted. It's long-term storytelling. They're building a character. And, they're, and they use something like the King of the Ring to get two guys over. You may not like the name Shorty G. That is Silver King level nitpicking like I used to do two and a half years <laughs> ago. There is nothing wrong with this. No. Yeah, you may not like the name. You can't have everything you want. You go to a restaurant. You want Coke? They say, is Pepsi okay? Uh, fine, I just want cola. You know what I mean? Th- that's how it works sometimes in life. They are pushing Chad freaking Gable as a singles performer on Fox. Let the rest go. Yes? Yeah. The, I, 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 again, you and I... Uh... I know we like debates on this show, and we're usually we're very very good at that. But I can't, I agree a hundred. I I think you you and I are the only two human beings who are one hundred percent completely on board with this, happy and fine with it. It's really crazy. I, I have no qualms with it at all. It's it's really crazy to me, Jack. Uh, we we've gone through a lot on this show. There's a couple things we want to touch on on the way out of here. First, from me, just want to mention being the elite. Uh, you know, I, I've been crapping on it recently. I, I thought it's been poor and, and going down the drain. But I, I just watched the last three episodes, which coincide with the start of AEW Dynamite. And while there's parts that annoy me and, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily care for, it's two things I love. One, the storyline I mentioned it earlier they're doing with Hangman Page, intertwined with Kenny Omega. It's really interesting. It gives you so much more depth than what's actually happening on television. And then if I'm being completely honest, the Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson merchandising storyline. Um, it's just with MJF and with and Matt's wife. It's just gold. It makes me laugh every single time. It's legitimately funny. So if you went off BTE, if you were listening to The Silver King and you stopped watching it, I thought there was good reason to do so. Go ahead and give the last three episodes a try. I thought they were really funny. And the last thing we're going to talk about, which... I mean, we probably would do an entire show on NWA Power if given the opportunity. But if we're being fair, there's only a small segment of the audience that's actually watching it. Uh, The second episode of NWA Power aired last week, Jack. I thought it was honestly, even as much as we like like the nostalgia of the first episode, I thought this was way better of a second episode. What about you? Yeah, it, they they keep rolling. This this now is my and again everything is a preference, and I I truly mean this. I'm not going over the top to say this. But for me and my my history growing up and everything, like this is my appointment viewing for professional wrestling is NWA Power. Not, I mean, Raw. Let's let's take out of the equation that Raw's my job, literally. No, more than Raw, more than SmackDown, more than AEW. I want to see NWA Power because they're giving me everything, and they're doing it. They're giving me everything I want, and they're doing it. They're doing such a great job of modernizing the NWA and the studio show, uh, the, the whole aspect. And again, a mix of talent, like a different, different people you're seeing, like who, like you're giving me an NWA show where homicide and Eddie Kingston are wrestling. 
like that is something that would be our, but it's the perfect mix. It's going to, it's going to please a lot of different fan bases and these guys are knocking it out of the park and they announced a, pay, a pay-per-view already. I said, I'm in what it in December, they're doing into the fire. They're going to fight TV and the usual stick and all that. Um, no, I, I love it. I can't thank those guys enough for what they've given me as a fan. So tell me if this is unfair. So I, I watched the two shows. I did like, as I said, the wrestling and the Nick in the uh, Tim Storm, um, Nick Aldis match. I thought that was really good. I was glad I watched it. I was not really thrilled with the parts of wrestling I saw Tuesday. And for the most part, I kind of watched everything that was not wrestling. Um, is that necessarily bad? Because I that- fully enjoyed, if I'm being completely honest, everything that was at the commentary table or the the stand-up uh, booth, whatever you want to call it, all the interview segments when you had Cole Cabana come out with Mr. Anderson, uh, the Nick Aldis sit-down interview uh, back, you know, uh, at wherever, wherever the hell that was at the offices uh, with Joe Galley. I loved all of that. Eddie Kingston, all of that was great. The wrestling, though, yeah, that, it, is, it is fourth-tier wrestling right now. It, But to that point, that's what it was. I know, I know. In the eight, like, that's what it was when I was a kid, too. You didn't watch uh, NWA World Championship Wrestling at 6.05 on Saturday nights for to see banger matches. Absolutely. They were they were the platform to tell the stories. And like like this week, for example, I I laughed my ass off. Like I legit was laughing when they did the sit down with all this and Camille and Camille tapped the microphone. And then proceeded to say nothing. Yeah, that was funny. And just smirked. I said, that was one of the funniest things I've seen in a promo this year. Like, she tapped it all with that serious face of hers. And then Joe Galley's like, yeah. Joe Galley's like, yeah, yeah, it's working. And she looked (laughs) at Galley and just smiled. It didn't say anything. I said, that was just perfect. But that's what the NWA shows. And that's what people have to understand is, like, you're not going to tune in. And see anything that anyone is going to consider a five-star match if, if you're doing star ratings or anything. They're going to be squashes. They're going to be sloppy. It's not going to be something you're going to remember maybe by the end of the year. But you tune into this show for those performers at the at the desk yeah. or even in an intimate setting like all this was off location, which they, they did all the time with Dusty Rhodes on a farm. Or right. they're going to tell the stories. That's where... That's what this whole premise was, and that's what it is now with a modern version. And I just got it. I I love it so much. They're doing so great. Yeah, the, sto- the storytelling really got me. I thought promo of the week, honestly, I thought it was Eli Drake. I just thought it was really, perfect fit for this. Really well done with James Storm. Uh, that was a it was a great duo. It made me really curious about where that storyline is going to go. Um, it propped up the national championship along with the world's championship. How even though you're the national champion. You still care so much about the world's, but I, being the national champion puts you in line for I, it. it. It was just completely well done. Honestly, I, I really liked everything about it. Uh, I said we were going to get out of here on that. I would be remiss. We actually both watched part of Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory. Um, I ended up watching the whole thing. Well, yeah, I, I think I watched the final format whenever I messaged you. Uh, I don't really want to go long about it. I, I just want to say, being completely honest, as I always am, it didn't really do anything for me. And the main event with Cage using his Wolverine claw to slash Sammy Callahan across the head, it completely yeah. took it completely took me out of it. Um it's 
I thought Impact was going well, according to fans. Uh, I just didn't really like much of what I saw. Here's again, like, but folks, Bound for Glory wasn't a bad show. It, It was a wrestling show. It was okay. A lot of what I, from what I saw. Um, the problem that what's what's really burying Impact right now is that how long do are we going with these shows anymore? We're we're going so much longer with these shows than we used to. Why is that? Because we have so much to talk about between AEW, NXT, yeah. WWE, maybe NXT UK here and there. We love NWA Power, and Impact Wrestling is just kind of there, and no one cares. And now we're at a point where hey, look, I'm married. Okay, I do, like Adam joked with me last week, but look, I'm married. I cannot watch all the wrestling like I used to at the times I want to anymore. I have to pick and choose. I can tell you right now, aside from not knowing what platform they're on this day and the next, I don't make it a a priority of mine to go and watch an Impact Wrestling show on a weekly, not, not even a monthly basis. I just, for lack of a better phrase, I don't care enough about them and it's going to be hard to pull those people back in and i i don't like they're going on axs so i mean good luck for the good luck to them like they they, here's the thing though i will give impact slash tna the former tna they are the masters at failing forward i don't know how they do it like they they might outlive us all Mm -hmm. i legit don't know how they do it but they're going to be, and good luck to them. But they, that show did nothing to say, hey, man, when we go to AXS, make sure you watch us. I was like, eh, don't really see anything here. Yeah, for, for them, for that being their, you know, go watch us on AXS. We're, uh-huh. we're a changed company. I watched uh, a P- Impact pay-per-view, I think it was a year ago, maybe. It might have been Bound for Glory and liked it. And I was like, oh, wow. And, and, I was like, like the biggest, and I get what they're trying to do to her, but like, we're at the point now. Where when you see Tessa Blanchard on that TV, you're like, good God, can we please get this woman a better paycheck and a better home? Uh, it hurt, this it, is ridiculous. It legitimately hurts me that she's not. She done. should be standing across from Charlotte Flair right Correct. now. I'm not even talking NXT. Tessa should no, be no. standing across from Charlotte Flair right now yeah. on SmackDown and calling back to that. She should be on Raw slapping Becky Lynch around. Or is she... This it's it's absurd to see her do that. I'm it, sorry, it just is. It hurts me that she's not on the WWE main roster. She they should have signed her off the bat. Rumors about locker room stuff, whatever, nah. whatever, unfounded at least so that we know. Um, but it hurts me that she's not in WWE. All right, Jack. The goal was to cover a ton of ground and get us out of this podcast in 90 <laughs> Did our minutes best. and get us out in 90 minutes. Well, we hit one of those. We covered a ton of ground. But we're not out of here in 90 minutes, but we're going to get out of here now. As I said off the top of the show, special wrestling slash boxing slash MMA interview episode coming Thursday. Silver King sat down with Tyson Fury and Triple H. And BC has a really good interview, too. I'm going to save that as a surprise for Thursday's show. But for Outback Jack Crosby, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. No soundboard. Wrestling is a rough sport. I am the roughest, toughest one out there. And I got two words for you. We out.